Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Today I'm going to be diving deep into a book called Nutrition and Vitamin Therapy by Michael Lesser. And it's mostly about mental health. The nutrients that matter most for mental health. Kind of a boring title, but actually I think the therapy is referring to like psychotherapy, like with a therapist. So this book is about nutrition and vitamins basically replacing therapy. Bit of an older book here from 1980, but I think that was a great era, the 1970s and 80s, for nonfiction in general, but especially nutrition. You might think that the latest and greatest research and books give us more of the answers for nutrition, but actually a lot of this stuff was known a long time ago, even if the details weren't fleshed out, and books from this era tend to give me a lot more value than modern books on nutrition. And before we get into it, I don't have any sponsors or anything, but gotta plug myself here. You can find everything that I do, including the books that I write, and books that I've helped produce, and you can find the free versions to my books as well in the audiobook section on my website, noticebooks.org. Notice is spelled not us, so that's notusbooks.org. You can also find all of my social media links, Instagram and YouTube and so on, and even my email if you want to reach out. What I do for a living is actually just give health consultations and answer health questions on the internet. We do free health evaluations. You can reach out to me anyway, email, Instagram, or whatever. We give you a questionnaire, and then we give you our best advice for food and supplements. There's no obligation. It's up to you what you do. We do sell the supplements. That's how we make our living. And that's one of the reasons I don't need to have sponsors or any ad revenue or anything like that. Because if you didn't know, most health problems are caused by nutritional problems, and they are completely preventable and reversible including mental health problems. I myself had mental health problems, by the way, that's what this book is focused on. I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and an oppositional defiant disorder, which kind of just means that you don't like being told what to do, but they call that a disorder. I was also depressed. I was severely depressed for most of my life. And I did fix my nutrition and I fixed up the rest of my life too, honestly. It wasn't just nutrition that got me fully out of depression. 
It was also having a purpose in life. This business, this health business has absorbed much of my life. It's given me a lot of purpose. We do make a difference. I can see the difference it makes. And it does pay off. I was very poor for a very long time and that makes it quite difficult to be joyful. I'm just saying before we jump in that mental health to me is not 100% nutritional, but it is very much nutritional. If you have a blood sugar problem, your mood can go up and down. Many nutritional deficiencies are directly linked to your mood, especially the B vitamins, omega-3, vitamin D, and others that will be mentioned in this book. Junk food or processed food, of course, also contributes to our overall health and well-being, including our mental health. Mental health and physical health are not two different things. If you have a mental health problem, chances are that will stop you from doing all the things that you need to do to be healthy. Going outside, getting fresh air, getting sunlight, socializing, interacting and touching other people, getting hugs. And of course, feeding yourself. Everybody knows when we feel crappy, we want to eat crappy. And that just makes it worse. Or maybe you do alcohol or something like that, which of course makes you feel worse, depletes nutrients even more. And I can tell you from experience as well, since I also had physical pain from the time I was born until the time I figured this nutrition stuff out when I was 26, that physical problems also cause mental problems. It's stressful to have a health condition, whether it's pain or diabetes or high blood pressure. The physical problem creates the mental problem. And since these are both involved in the equation, that means that you can help your mental health by working on your physical health. And you can help your physical health by working on your mental health. They go together. So what we're doing here on this deep dive is when I read books, I just mark pages that I find interesting. I mark passages that either I find interesting or it's new to me or it's information that I might want to use somewhere else, maybe in one of my own books. Maybe it's something I disagree with and I have to look into further, might mark references, all kinds of things. But this is not a summary. I'm not attempting to summarize this book to you. I'm just sharing the points that stood out to me. And the first point I saved here was near the beginning. And the author here, Michael Lesser, by the way, who's an MD, medical doctor, he's writing a dialogue here about talking to one of his patients, fictional situation here, where he's trying to lay out a few of the things that we're going to dive into in the book. So his fictional patient here is asking him, well, what about the lead, mercury, and cadmium I've got now? How do I get rid of what I already have? And he replies, we can remove those with chelators, C-H-E-L-A-T-O-R-S, chelators, which chemically bond with the heavy metal and pull it out of the body. Beans and eggs contain natural chelators, sulfohydrate groups, composed of sulfur and hydrogen molecules. The pectin in applesauce is also helpful. The amino acids lysine and methionine also contain sulfhydryl groups and chelate heavy metals. Vitamin C is also a chelator. It also enhances the absorption of some minerals from foods. So chelating is kind of like a coating something, like to make commercial mineral supplements, like the ones you'll find in your grocery store or drugstore, to make them more absorbable. They'll take raw elements and they'll tumble them around in amino acids or sugars, protein, something that's covers the molecule it tricks your body into absorbing it more and so in your body chelation works another way there are certain compounds like he's talking about there's some of them in beans and eggs and all kinds of foods pectin and applesauce vitamin c is a chelator these will wrap around the heavy metals and allow them to be transported out of the body pulled out of the body and that was the end of that paragraph but the next one that i saved here 
was about the discovery of uh, B1, vitamin B1, thiamine. In 1886, a young Dutch physician, Christian Eichmann, assigned to study beriberi, which is now what we know as thiamine deficiency. That's also congestive heart failure, basically. The end stage of beriberi is congestive heart failure. Noticed that chickens in the laboratory chicken house were dying of a paralytic disease closely resembling beriberi. When Eichmann was studying the chicken's disease, those that had not died mysteriously recovered and no new cases developed. Investigating, he found that the chickens had been fed polished or white rice, prepared in the military hospital kitchen for the hospital patients. When a new cook took charge of the kitchen, he refused to allow military rice for civilian chickens. From that point on, when the chickens were returned to the coarse, unpolished brown rice, the chickens' paralytic disease and deaths ceased. Eichmann immediately confirmed that a diet of polished rice caused death in three to four weeks, whereas the chickens remained in good health when fed unpolished rice. So that is kind of a famous story, but that was actually summed up really well there. Brief little paragraph. I think that's why I saved it. And then it goes on talking about a few physicians who decided to try substantial amounts of the newly isolated vitamin and mineral nutrients that were happening around this time, the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. And there were two practitioners here, Hoffer and Osmond, and their first case was a young farm boy, lapsed into catatonic stupor, unable to talk, eat, or use the bathroom. He did not respond to insulin or electric shock, the best available treatments at the time, and steadily deteriorated. Finally, the boy's family was notified he would die. The boy was in a coma, with death approaching, when in desperation, doctors Hoffer and Osmond fed him 10 grams of niacin and 5 grams of vitamin C through a stomach tube. Two days later, the boy was out of the coma and able to take the vitamins himself in a glass of water. Two weeks later, he was normal. He remains so to this day, now a married man, owner of a prosperous construction firm. The work of these pioneers aroused little interest in the medical community because the miracle drugs were commanding all the attention. Newly introduced antibiotics, tranquilizers, and steroids acted quickly and seemed highly effective. Drug companies, which held exclusive patents on these chemicals, spent millions on promotion and further research into so-called wonder drugs. Nutrients, being natural substances, could not be patented, and since drug companies couldn't hold patents on nutrients, they lacked incentive for researching and promoting nutrient therapies. So as soon as they started isolating these vitamin substances, before they had it all figured out, before they had all the essential minerals isolated and figured out, and amino acids and essential fatty acids and all that stuff, people started playing around with high doses and... Some of them got fantastic results very quickly, but the medical establishment back then never cared, and they really still don't today, in general. Some doctors do. But they have to go out of their way to study nutrition. A regular medical doctor does, because they don't learn nutrition in school. Alright, next page I saved here. A new idea always encounters resistance, and nutrition and vitamin medicine is no exception. In July 1973, the American Psychiatric Association, in Task Force Report Number 7, Condemned megavitamin therapy and orthomolecular psychiatry. Orthomolecular means to treat with nutrients. Doctors who use nutrients instead of drugs, or in this case, psychotherapy. Orthomolecular. You don't hear that term very often, but especially in the 60s and 80s. This book's from 1980. It was a very popular term. And it's unfortunate that it's a term most people probably haven't ever heard before. Because that means there aren't very many physicians actually using the orthomolecular philosophy. The politically motivated report fell like a hammer on the Infant Academy of Orthomolecular Psychiatry. In the 1973 Academy meeting, held before the issuance of the task force report, 
over 300 attended. In 1974, after the report, attendance dropped to 100. So the Academy of Orthomolecular Psychiatry lost two-thirds of their membership just because of this scathing report from the American Psychiatric Association. Sometimes these deep dives flow a little bit better, but I saved some kind of random points here. So the next one is, anyone thinking thiamine deficiency, B1, isn't common may consider the following study. Volunteers received the amount of thiamine present in a typical American diet of bread, beef, cornflakes, potatoes, polished rice, sugar, skim milk, canned fruits and vegetables, gelatin, egg white, cocoa, and coffee. To ensure the diet was sufficient in all other nutrients except B1, it was supplemented with brewer's yeast, in which the B1 had been destroyed by heating. They also received iron, calcium, phosphorus, and vitamin C, and halibut liver oil, for A and D, a diet superior to that eaten by millions of Americans. Within three months, all the volunteers became irritable, depressed, quarrelsome, uncooperative, and without knowing why, fearful that some misfortune awaited them. Two became agitated, felt that life was no longer worth living, and threatened suicide. All became inefficient in their work. In part, this could be attributed to weakness, in part to inability to concentrate, confusion of thoughts, and uncertainty of memory. Many other complaints were voiced, such as headache, backache, unusually painful menstrual periods, sleeplessness, tenseness, formication, which is the sensation of insects crawling over the skin, inability to tolerate pain, and sensitivity to noises. In time, they developed low blood pressure, anemia, and a lowered metabolic rate. Soon they experienced heart palpitations and shortness of breath, developing abnormal electrocardiograms, and in several, the heart became enlarged. So this is within three months on a thiamine deficient diet. And the diet they were actually getting is superior to that eaten by millions of Americans. In three months, they were depressed, they had other mental symptoms, and they had physical symptoms. Just one nutrient deficiency. And by the way, I'm not recommending that you take any one individual nutrient. There are at least 90 essential nutrients. We sell supplements with many, many, many nutrients in them. All 90 essential nutrients we try to do in each package can be a bit complicated. I'm just saying you don't want to buy nutrients one by one if you're reading books like this and you get excited about individual nutrients. It only makes sense to take huge groups of nutrients together or else it's not cost effective at all to buy over 90 essential nutrients. Even a B complex, which will give you all the B vitamins, including thiamine here, B1, to us it still doesn't make financial sense considering how much more we can get in our products, including the B vitamins. So the book continues on. When I was a boy, our family doctor advised me to give up athletics because a chest x-ray showed my heart to be enlarged. Now I believe I was suffering from an unrecognized thiamine deficiency, as my diet was similar to that of these Mayo Clinic volunteers. Although my physician was conscientious, he never once mentioned vitamins or nutrition in relation to my case. I'm sure it never occurred to him to do so. The Mayo volunteer's ability to work as measured on an exercise machine decreased as the diet continued and all their symptoms were made worse by exercise or cold weather. Numbness and pains developed in their legs and feet, and they had little or no hydrochloric acid in their stomachs. By the 21st week, they had such severe headaches, nausea, and vomiting that the experiment was ended. Thiamine was added to their supplement without their knowledge to avoid any placebo effect. No other change was made in their diet. Within a few days, they became cheerful, lost their fatigue, and reported a feeling of well-being and mental alertness associated with marked stamina and enterprise. The flow of stomach acid became normal in 12 days, their hearts in 15 days. And by the way, a farmer can prevent congestive heart failure in their livestock, especially, you know, an expensive animal like a bull. 
they can save the animal's life with like 20 bucks worth of thiamine injectable and the result is pretty much immediate so within days here their hearts went back to normal their stomach acid resumed pretty amazing with only one nutrient and the next point I saved here is about B2, vitamin B2, riboflavin. And this is something that comes up with us a lot. A lot of people start our products and they come back and they say, hey, I'm, I'm urinating like neon yellow or even green. And this happens to almost everyone. We give people high doses, especially of these B vitamins, but it's the riboflavin that's really doing it mostly. I think a couple other ones can as well. So the point that I saved here is persons taking a B-complex containing riboflavin often become concerned because their urine becomes bright golden yellow. Riboflavin is bright yellow in color and gives urine this harmless fluorescence. And this usually does diminish. It usually does take at least a few months, though, sometimes longer, sometimes significantly longer. I've known people who took these products for years before it finally stopped happening. And from what I know of those cases, most of them, I think, that coincided with them actually taking all of it seriously, you know, actually going gluten-free, cutting out processed foods. It's usually once they fully actually clean their diet up that that finally stops happening. Continuing on, riboflavin deficiency is only rarely responsible for mental symptoms, though many consider it the most common vitamin shortage in America. Reportedly, a B2 deficiency can cause trembling, dizziness, insomnia, and mental sluggishness. The common symptoms of riboflavin deficiency are a magenta or purplish tongue, cracks in the corner of the mouth, and lips which look chapped. In a long-standing deficiency, the upper lip becomes progressively smaller and practically disappears. I'm not sure I ever heard that uh, upper lip thing before, but definitely trembling, dizziness, sluggishness. I usually just shorthand this and say that B vitamin deficiency is one of the key things here. It's the electrolyte deficiencies, basically almost any of the electrolytes. B vitamins, vitamin C, calcium, magnesium, potassium, and so on, they can cause these symptoms, including insomnia as well. And yeah, these are really specific deficiency symptoms. I just don't think I've ever heard it be this specific, so I'm going to continue on. As the shortage becomes severe, the eyes may water and the lids crust and burn. The victim frequently rubs or wipes the eyes. The eyes become bloodshot, and tiny blood vessels appear on the surface of the skin, acne rosacea most noticeably in alcoholics. The skin becomes oily, with scaling around the nose, mouth, forehead, and ears. Tiny fatty deposits like whiteheads appear. As sensitivity to noise is an, as sensitivity to noise is an early symptom of thiamine deficiency, sensitivity to light is an early symptom of riboflavin deficiency. Persons who only feel comfortable wearing dark glasses might suspect B2 need. B2 deficiency can cause hair loss, disappearance of the eyebrows, even baldness. Riboflavin need increases with increasing consumption of protein or carbohydrate. It promotes a new cell growth, as in pregnancy, lactation, wound healing, and malignant tumors. On the other hand, a deficiency of riboflavin greatly increases the cancer-causing potential of some carcinogens. So that was a very detailed thing about riboflavin deficiency symptoms. Vegetarians in particular are prone to riboflavin deficiency as animal proteins such as milk, liver, tongue, and organ meats are the best natural sources. Brewer's yeast is the richest source. So next point, niacin is often dramatically effective in reversing sensory disperceptions such as hallucinations, delusional thinking, and disturbances of mood and energy. Niacin. And of course niacin is B3. You can tell he's going in order here. And by the way, a lot of people ask about schizophrenia. 
And to me, schizophrenia is just niacin deficiency. It's pellagra. It would have been called pellagra 100 years ago. Pellagra is characterized by the four Ds, they say. Diarrhea, dermatitis, dementia, and death. This is not new. And actually, the very next sentence here of his, as I look down to the page, it's severe niacin deficiency, pellagra, displays the four Ds of diarrhea, dermatitis, or inflammation of the skin, dementia, or madness, and ultimately death. So this has been known for a long time. This is exactly how we speak today in the alternative health world when we're speaking about niacin. The four Ds haven't changed. And I would say the incidence is very much widespread for sure. B vitamin deficiencies I do think are rampant. People are very unlikely to be deficient in just niacin or just riboflavin B2 or just thiamine B1. You're likely to have a deficiency across the board to be mostly low in all of them. Maybe you have enough of a couple of them. The average person eats so much processed food that B deficiencies are practically inevitable. So, continuing in the text, by 1914, pellagra affected more than 200,000 Americans. No one knew what caused pellagra, and many researchers considered it a contagious, infectious illness. Dr. Joseph Goldberger of the U.S. Public Health Service began an extensive investigation of the southern mental hospitals and orphanages where the disease was rife. He concluded that pellagra wasn't contagious because in every institution where inmates were seriously ill, the staff members were rarely stricken. In a Mississippi orphanage, Dr. Goldberger found that nearly half the children had varying degrees of pellagra. Their standard fare consisted of biscuits, hominy grits, syrup, corn mush, and salt pork. He was able to enrich this diet in one ward, adding fresh meat, milk, eggs, beans, and peas. Within a few months, the enriched diet ward was pellagra-free, while the occurrence of pellagra in the other wards remained unchanged. Continuing his research in a prison, Dr. Goldberger promised 11 inmates freedom in exchange for living on the suspected diet of biscuits, mush, grits, syrup, coffee, corn, bread, cabbage, sweet potatoes, and rice. In six months, five of the 11 had pellagra. In 1915, Dr. Goldberger announced his finding that malnutrition was the sole cause of pellagra and proper diet its cure. But some scientists still believed that pellagra was a contagious disease. In 1916, Dr. Goldberger, his wife Mary, and several staff members ingested and injected themselves with the blood, urine, feces, and skin lesion material of pellagra patients in what they called filth parties, a final demonstration that no infectious agents were involved. Of course, no one contracted pellagra, but complete proof that pellagra was due to malnutrition did not come until 1937. That year, nicotinic acid, niacin, which is, yes, it's very similar to nicotine, was isolated from liver extract and, when fed to a pellagrous dog, produced a rapid recovery. So they isolated niacin, gave it to a dog with pellagra, and he recovered rapidly. A final puzzle remained. Infants thrived on milk which theoretically seemed deficient in niacin. In 1945, the puzzle was solved when the amino acid tryptophan was discovered. Tryptophan converts to form niacin in the body, and milk is a rich source of tryptophan. And I'll interject here that one of the definitions of an essential nutrient is that your body cannot make it and that you get a disease without it. And so niacin is a bit of a weird case because tryptophan can convert into niacin in the body, but your body already needs a fair amount of tryptophan by itself. So I think that niacin is a separate essential nutrient because of that, because you couldn't take enough tryptophan to supply both. I might be wrong on that. I'm not sure. But for instance, all the minerals, your body can't physically make them. No living creature can make a mineral. Minerals come from the earth. They have to be ingested somehow. 
They have to be absorbed into the body somehow. But there are several compounds such as uh, glutathione, which has a lot of attention these days. It's an antioxidant produced in almost every cell in your body. You don't need to ingest it from outside sources. But niacin is still something that you do need to import. You do need to eat it on its own. It needs to come in food or supplements these days. But you still need tryptophan separately. And ironically, you would find tryptophan in many of these same sources, animal products. And niacin is in many foods, by the way. I'm just not going to go in and check what the overlaps are with tryptophan. And in any animal products, you should be getting both. And this section here is capped off with, in areas of the world where corn is the basic staple, such as southern India, pellagra still accounts for 8 to 10% of mental hospital admissions. Simple B vitamin deficiency. And I didn't save the next section here, which is about niacin deficiency symptoms, but I guess I'll read it to you here. The first noticeable symptoms of niacin deficiency are entirely psychological. Victims may feel fearful, apprehensive, suspicious, and worry excessively with a gloomy, downcast, angry, and depressed outlook. They may experience headaches, insomnia, loss of strength, and burning sensations all over the body. Their depression may range from blue Mondays to the wish to end it all. Niacin deficient people just fold up under stress. They may become alienated recluses who maintain a marginal existence by determinedly avoiding the stress of life. In some cases, a niacin deficiency may act to dull the moral sensibilities, adversely affecting the individual's behavior. Whereas in most people, niacin deficiency causes depression or inability to concentrate, in others it may be the underlying cause of thoughtless promiscuity, pathological lying, or petty thievery. And then he actually goes into some examples here. Some patients with their names changed, I'm sure. Got a whole bunch of cases of niacin deficiency here. But I'm fast-forwarding here to B6, pyridoxine. And the point that I saved is in the therapeutic uses of pyridoxine section. 10 milligrams of B6 and 300 milligrams of magnesium oxide completely prevented the recurrence of kidney stones in 79% and benefited 89% of 265 patients with long histories of recurrent stone formation. So just B6 and magnesium prevented the recurrence of stones in 79% of this group of 265 patients with long histories of recurrent stone formation. And that's true, if you don't stop them from happening, they're just going to keep forming. So they did this with two nutrients, and that's fantastic. We don't like to focus too much on individual nutrient studies, but that's how a lot of this information was really fleshed out. We like to focus on giving all 90 essential nutrients and the message that you need all 90 essential nutrients, but... You can extrapolate out if they were getting results back in the day, and we still are today, with a whole bunch of different nutrients, you can imagine what happens when you combine them all together. So we do get excellent results in this business. I expect excellent results. When people don't get excellent results, I'm surprised. We have to go and fish around and look for an alternative cause or an alternative contributor. But it always amazes me, actually, that there is so many different studies on so many different nutrients where just adding or taking away that one made all the difference. In this case, two nutrients. But that's a huge result. 79% didn't have stones form again? Alright, next point here. Pyridoxine need is increased by estrogen, the female sex hormone, and pyridoxine supplements are helpful in situations where elevated estrogen levels exist. So women ask, what do I do about high estrogen? Serious deficiencies of B6 are reported in 50% of women taking birth control pills. Birth control pills deplete pyridoxine, B6. And experiencing mood changes such as pessimism, irritability, tiredness, depression, and loss of sex drive. 
In a group of such women given 20 milligram tablets of pyridoxine hydrochloride twice daily for two months, those women who were B6 deficient experienced relief from the symptoms of depression. Many women become depressed and tense before the onset of their menstrual cycle, and this premenstrual blues can often be eliminated by 50 to 200 milligrams of B6 daily. Pregnancy also increases estrogen levels and consequently seems to increase pyridoxine requirements. You need more nutrients when you're pregnant. That's a good rule of thumb across the board. You have much higher nutrient demands when pregnant and when menstruating. A diet high in sugar or in protein, especially the amino acid methionine, increases B6 need, as do a, a bunch of drugs. And it's certain antibiotics here and some other like anti-tuberculosis drug or hydralazine for high blood pressure. On the other hand, the B vitamins, pantothenic acid, choline, biotin, and the essential fatty acids all have a pyridoxine-sparing effect, decreasing the need for B6. So those other nutrients can jump in, and you don't need as much B6. And you'll find this a lot, actually, especially when you're looking at minerals. A lot of the trace minerals can sub in for other nutrients, can sub in for other minerals. You can take the place of another mineral in an enzyme reaction or something like that. So a lot of these nutrients can end up serving very similar or the exact same purposes in the body. And this is part of the reason why many different nutrient deficiencies can cause the same symptom. Anorexia, for example, or insomnia. There's a ripple effect because it's a recipe and they do all work together. When you have those other nutrients I just said here, these other B vitamins and essential fatty acids or omegas, then you don't need as much B6. And if you eat high sugar, which many people do, or even a high protein diet, you also need more B vitamins. And final sentence here, B6 supplements decrease the toxicity of the insecticide dipteryx, barbiturates, carbon monoxide gas, and x-rays. B6 decrease the toxicity of x-rays. Interesting. And of course, meats top the list in food sources for pyridoxine meats, especially organ meats, fish, and other foods as well. Avocados, walnuts, fresh fruits, especially bananas, and vegetables. You can get B6 in all of them. And this is why there is truth to the idea that just eating a variety of foods will get you a variety of nutrients. It's just that in our food supply, many of the nutrients are depleted for many, many different reasons. Most of that has to do with the mineral content of the food. It doesn't have enough minerals, and therefore the plants themselves don't actually produce as much vitamins and proteins and other things that they're supposed to be making. They're not as strong in their plant immune system and plant defense system for insects and stuff, so now they need pesticides herbicides, fungicides, they need all these things because the plant is no longer strong because it's being grown in depleted soils and it's growing purely off of the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in commercial fertilizers. I know I'm going kind of quick here. I'm just saying that when you read these books, you'll start to think that, oh, I could just eat this wide variety of foods and I'll be getting all these different nutrients every day. But the problem really does come down to the minerals. There just isn't enough minerals in the food supply. That's a whole different conversation here. But a big part of our message is that you cannot get everything that you need just by eating food. The longest-lived people in the world have several habits and coincidences that put them into contact with more nutrients. They live in places where all the minerals are in the soil. There's over 60 essential minerals. There's at least 60 essential minerals. Most of us don't live in places that have all those available. Even if we're shipping in food from all over the place, you grow on fields for a few seasons, your plants now have those minerals in, in them that were in the topsoil. We take the plants away, nothing puts the minerals back. In the old days, all the civilizations were built on a floodplain where they irrigated their fields to diverted rivers. All of them, because every year, the fields would flood with not just water, but minerals. Mud, silt, clay. They would rake that in. 
They would add their compost and create a living topsoil with fresh new nutrients enriched in it so their plants grow in this enriched soil. Not going to go into the entire story here, but they do also use ash, wood ash, sea moss ash, rice straw ash, because they use fire for the cooking and heating, and so they have wood ashes left over. Wood ashes are plant-derived minerals, concentrated plant-derived minerals. They eat wood ashes, primitive places, blue zones. Many people today, I'm sure, still have retained the tradition of using wood ashes. Neanderthals were buried with little pots of wood ash. Before they identified all the nutrients and stuff, Go back and read old nutrition books from the 1800s and whatnot. They believed ash was an essential nutrient. They knew that. They just didn't know what ash was. Potassium is named after ash, by the way. Potash. Potassium. Point is, they ingested this ash because it thickened food like flour. It was easier to produce than flour. It tasted good. It was used as a condiment and a thickener and a way to stretch salt as well. People consumed the white ash, the culinary ash. And they put the rest of it in their compost and eventually into their gardens and fields. So their plants were being grown in this mineral-rich environment. And bones are in here too, by the way. These people, they ate the bones. They didn't just eat muscle. We say meat, and that just means muscle. Primitive people, blue zones, they don't do that. They use the whole animal. They skin the animal, use the skins. They boil, make soups out of the ears and the hoofs and all, all kinds of things. They make uh, special dishes out of the stomach lining and, and the intestines and all the different organs, the brain, the eyes. They know how to prepare these things and they look forward to them. And animals do this too. They eat the entire animal. That's how you get more of the nutrients. It's the only way that you achieve the proper balance of the minerals. And I really didn't mean to go too deep into there, but you should know you can't get everything you need from food. It's a big part of the message here. But eating processed food kills you, so you should eat real food. We just don't count on the real food having everything we need. It will have some stuff that we need, and it will have some special plant compounds and stuff, stuff that's only found in each individual food, including meats. But we always supplement that baseline with all 90 essential nutrients, including all these B vitamins. Even though I eat meat and vegetables and the stuff that's on this list here, I'm just not calculating how much pyridoxine is in it. I don't care how much pyridoxine is in it. I'm eating it because it's real food and I need real food. I'm supplementing with everything else because I can't count on our food supply having enough of everything. And getting back to the next point that I saved here. The most prominent mental symptom of the B vitamin pantothenic acid deficiency. So we've moved on here from pyridoxine. And pantothenic acid is kind of where the numbering system for B vitamins falls off. You might have noticed that we jumped right from B3 to B6. It was a bit of a mess when they were coming up with all the vitamins and figuring them all out. And yeah, the naming got thrown off a little bit there. So pantothenic acid is usually just known as pantothenic acid. It's one of the B vitamins. The most prominent mental symptom of the B vitamin pantothenic acid deficiency is fatigue. But insomnia, sullenness, and depression can also occur. Calcium pantothenate deficiency may be related to the nervous disease and psychosis seen in some alcoholics. Korsakoff psychosis. So you're going to see alcoholics mentioned more and more because alcohol depletes B vitamins. So if there are any mental symptoms associated with the alcoholism, we would actually blame that primarily on B vitamin deficiency and other nutrient deficiencies because alcohol is a diuretic as well as a poison. So being a poison, it needs all the nutrients that you would normally hear talked about for the immune system, like selenium, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C. Your body needs more of that stuff to deal with the poison effect. But then the alcohol is also a diuretic, which forces you to urinate more, which increases the amount of loss 
of water-soluble nutrients, including the B vitamins here and those other uh, nutrients mentioned, most of them, like vitamin C and your other electrolytes, calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, all these things are water-soluble, so you're just losing more of them when you're drinking alcohol. So alcoholism itself can produce B vitamin deficiencies, which can cause forms of psychosis, yes, depression, fatigue, insomnia, sullenness. That's B vitamin deficiency. We've just gone through several B vitamins. You hear these symptoms repeat themselves. And often when I'm doing this on the story on Instagram, I have to shorthand all this out. I have to say, your fatigue could be many nutrient deficiencies. And it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, I think, in my head. It sounds like I'm giving such a general answer that it doesn't mean anything. But no, it's a general answer and it means everything. Most people are deficient across the board in the B vitamins. I'm not going to guess randomly that you're deficient in pantothenic acid or pyridoxine or niacin. I don't know. If I had any guess, I would assume you're deficient across the board in several of them or all of them. If you have symptoms such as depression, sullenness, insomnia, fatigue, chronic fatigue could be so many nutrients and it's very, very unlikely to the point of being basically impossible that it's just going to be one nutrient deficiency at a time. It doesn't work like that. People are deficient in many different nutrients and that's why they have these types of symptoms that are connected to many different nutrient deficiencies. You can only really create it in the lab of removing one nutrient from a diet, and even then it's quite difficult to do, actually, especially in the case of a lot of the trace minerals. But anyways, I'll continue reading. Pantothenic acid can be thought of as the anti-stress vitamin, helping to cure stress-induced fatigue because of its beneficial effect on the adrenals, or anti-stress glands. A lot of people think of uh, the adrenals as the stress glands or for producing stress hormones, but it's interesting to put it this way, or anti-stress glands. A deficiency of pantothenic acid causes adrenal exhaustion and eventual destruction of the adrenal glands. Humans suffering fatigue related to adrenal exhaustion may experience an ache in the small of the back, where the adrenal glands are located. If you are fatigued or suffering from allergies because of stress, and a good night's sleep doesn't correct the problem, try 250 milligrams of calcium pantothenate a day. If you suffer one cold after another, consider pantothenic acid, as frequent respiratory illness can signify a deficiency. Pantothenic acid with B6 and folic acid is necessary to manufacture disease-fighting antibodies. And here he's talking about teeth grinding. Dr. Emmanuel Cheriskin successfully treated a series of 16 tooth grinders with nutrients, the most vital of which appeared to be pantothenic acid and calcium. Probably these particular vitamins help because tooth grinding is thought to be a sign of unconscious stress. Calcium helps because a lack of calcium will cause muscle tenseness and cramps. The powerful jaw muscles are a prime spot for stress-induced tension to lodge. And by the way, we recognize teeth grinding primarily as a blood sugar problem or a thyroid problem, but thyroid problems are in our calcium deficiency category, actually. So there might be a, a backdoor to the explanation of why pantothenic acid and calcium were the ones that did it here. And of course, B vitamins are going to be involved in blood sugar as well. I do write about this, by the way, in my book, Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. Once again, you can see all of my books, the real version, physical copy, or the free audiobook version on my website, notusbooks.org. And since I've started this podcast again recently, if, if you didn't know, if you're new here, I got kicked off of podcast land. Spotify owns Anchor, which I used to publish my podcasts. I always have, since they own Anchor, they were able to pull my podcast off of all platforms. So this is the uh, new 
rebooted version of Notice and Friends here. And I did have my audiobooks on the podcast, but as of right now, this recording, the podcasts are only on YouTube, the video version where I read it to you. You can read along. And the audiobooks will be up here on the podcast in due time. But for now, you can see it at notusbooks.org. And continuing on. Volunteers at Iowa State Prison were given a diet adequate except in pantothenic acid. They became fatigued after two weeks of deprivation, lost their appetites, and were constipated by the third week, and became quarrelsome, belligerent, and discontented by the fourth week. Adrenal hormones measured in the urine fell progressively lower as the experiment continued. The volunteers also developed low blood pressure, stomach distress, and continuous respiratory infections with reduction in stomach acid and enzymes. By the fifth week, the volunteers were quite miserable and burning feet added to their suffering. Burning feet. At that point, it was necessary to end the experiment. All symptoms disappeared when pantothenic acid was returned to the diet. So in a few weeks, they become fatigued, lost their appetites, were constipated, quarrelsome, belligerent, and discontented. Then you get more serious things like low blood pressure, stomach distress, continuous respiratory infections, one nutrient. Roger Williams, the discoverer of pantothenic acid, recommends 250 milligrams twice daily to treat any stress-induced symptoms. Brewer's yeast is the richest natural source, followed by organ meats, bran, peanuts, and peas. A natural diet assures sufficient pantothenic acid, as it is present in nearly all foods. The vitamin's name is derived from pantos, the Greek word for everywhere. Eating excessive processed foods, however, may create a shortage, as much of it is lost in refining, e.g. 50% in the milling of flour. There you go. Same thing we say today. 43 years ago this book came out. We've known this for a long time. Anyone who's ever gone to their doctor with these uh, mental symptoms or anything, ask yourself if your doctor ever mentioned B vitamins. Your grandma goes in with symptoms of dementia. I bet they never told her about B vitamins. We've had people who were told that they had Alzheimer's disease, who were nearly catatonic, like that uh, young boy here at the beginning of the book. Catatonic kind of means non-responsive. But uh, doctors Hoffer and Osmond, remember, gave him 10 grams of niacin and 5 grams of vitamin C. So one B vitamin and vitamin C through a stomach tube. Two days later, the boy was out of the coma and able to take the vitamins by himself in a glass of water. Two days. So we've seen this. Yeah, people who were catatonic, non-responsive, couldn't remember their kids' names. And they're up and active and wanting to go golfing and stuff in like less than a week. This is real. This can happen. B vitamin deficiency. It can look like dementia. It is dementia. It's a form of dementia. They call it vitamin B12 deficiency dementia. Or they used to call it pellagra. But the medical world forgot about that term and started to call it schizophrenia and treat it with head drugs instead of B vitamins. And by the way, I would say that most of our most dramatic results that I've ever seen in this business, the ones that happen in less than a week, are probably mostly due to the B vitamins because they act so fast. It can take a long time to top up properly on the trace nutrients, trace minerals and stuff where you're no longer having like immune problems. Like you're not going to get rid of your allergies in a week. It doesn't work like that. But people can snap out of dementia, snap out of comas. Their blood sugar can get regulated within days. There are things that can happen fast. 
They usually don't involve regrowing any tissues. Like, you can't regrow a knee in a week. It takes several months. But I'm telling you that our fastest results, I'm assuming that most of that was actually because of the B vitamins. This book has a lot of great detail. That's why I saved so much. And after pantothenic acid, he moves on to B12, in which he says the rare mental illness is associated with pernicious anemia. And by the way, pernicious anemia is caused by B12 deficiency. Doctors don't know this either, apparently, because they give you an iron capsule or an iron supplement. We don't even make an iron supplement because we know it doesn't usually work. Most people who come to us with anemia, they are already on an iron supplement. It hasn't worked. They're already eating meat and eggs and whatever. They're already trying to get iron from food, and they should be getting enough iron in food, so they're still anemic. Why? B12 deficiency, other B vitamin deficiencies as well can cause the anemia. Low stomach acid can cause the anemia. You just heard one of the other B vitamins. One of the symptoms was low stomach acid. Body's not working properly when it doesn't have the B vitamins. And it can't utilize the iron properly if it doesn't have them. So you can be anemic even though you're not deficient in iron. So returning to the text, it's called pernicious because if not corrected, it is fatal. When B12 is lacking, the bone marrow, the body's blood cell factory, is un- and stem cells and stuff, there's lots of stuff produced in the bone marrow, is unable to produce healthy red blood cells. A long-standing deficiency of B12, or cobalamin, causes neurologic degeneration with numbness, tingling, unsteady gait, loss of reflexes, etc. And by the way, B12 deficiency can take a long time to show up because B12 is actually stored in the liver. B12 actually breaks the rule of the other B vitamins because they're all water-soluble nutrients, and in general, your body uses water-soluble nutrients rapidly. It doesn't really store them. It stores fat-soluble nutrients like zinc and selenium. And toxins, unfortunately, are usually fat-soluble, so they're also stored in fat tissues. But B vitamins are usually just used and then dumped. Or if you take too much, you can't absorb all of them. They're just dumped. And this is why alcohol depletes all these water-soluble nutrients. Because they're in the water system of your body, and it just gets pumped out constantly you're constantly having to drink water or drink fluids to replenish your water because you're constantly dumping it and you're also dumping your water soluble nutrients at the same time but b12 breaks that rule because b12 is stored in the liver and is recycled in the body especially with the probiotics in the colon one of the reasons to have a healthy digestion system and to have healthy probiotics probiotic colonies is so that they can recycle b vitamins the other ones to an extent but especially b12 And I say that because returning to the text, three to five years before the anemia or neurologic changes occur, however, almost any type of mental symptom may appear from B12 deficiency. Apathy, mood swings, poor memory, disturbances in concentration and learning, auditory hallucinations, confusion, paranoia, psychosis, all of these from B12 deficiency. And he said three to five years because it can take that long to have full-blown clinical B12 deficiency where you're demented or you're in a state of pernicious anemia. You have no energy and everything because you're not producing blood cells. You're getting chronic infections because you're not producing blood cells properly because of pernicious anemia, which is usually caused by B12 deficiency or often caused by B12 deficiency, I should say, because there's many different deficiencies, especially in the B category, B vitamin category, that can cause anemia because these are cofactors with iron, and if you don't have the cofactors, then the iron can't work properly. And by the way, fun fact about B12 is it's got cobalt in it, the mineral, so 
when you see cobalt on the list of essential minerals, it's basically because it's part of B12 that it is essential. That's where you get your cobalt is in B12. You don't take a cobalt supplement. And the cobalt atom sits in the middle of the molecule very much like iron sits in the middle of hemoglobin. It's a very similar molecule. And it's actually a very similar molecule to chlorophyll as well, where magnesium sits in the middle. Just an interesting little chemistry thing there. That B12, hemoglobin, and chlorophyll are extremely similar molecularly, except B12 has cobalt in the center, hemoglobin has iron in the center, and chlorophyll has magnesium in the center. It's what makes things green. So anything that's green has magnesium in it because magnesium is part of chlorophyll. There can't be chlorophyll without magnesium, just like there can't be B12 without cobalt. That's why it's called cobalamine. So the next point I saved here in the B12 section is B12 shots, injections, often rescue old people labeled as having senile psychosis. A study found B12 deficiency in 58% of 138 cases of psychosis. By the way, if I just say a study did this, the book actually did reference what the study is. I'm not going to go through and name the whole study and name all the doctors involved and stuff. I'm just making it easier to listen to, so... Don't think that this book is just pulling things out of its hat. It's all referenced and everything like that. You can buy the book, Nutrition and Vitamin Therapy by Michael Lesser, if you want the references. But a study found B12 deficiency in 58% of 138 such cases of psychosis and organic brain syndrome. And Dr. Carl Pfeiffer, who is another orthomolecular author, I, I really appreciate Carl Pfeiffer. He does have books on this as well. I might even do a deep dive on one of his books here on this podcast. So Dr. Pfeiffer states that schizophrenia, first appearing in middle age or old age, is usually due to a B12 deficiency. So I said earlier that I consider schizophrenia to be pellagra, niacin deficiency, but I also said that these deficiencies don't usually happen in unison. Usually people are deficient in multiple nutrients at a time, especially the B vitamins. So the symptoms of schizophrenia could be caused by multiple B vitamin deficiencies, in my opinion. And continuing on, vitamin B12 sometimes stimulates growth in malnourished, undersized children. It also plays a part in maintaining fertility and stimulating the production of breast milk. Alright, moving on to folic acid or folate. Folic acid deficiency is much more common than B12 deficiency. And by the way, I didn't save this point. I just figured I might as well introduce these nutrients to you if we're going in a list. So I didn't save this description, but... Folic acid deficiency is much more common than B12 deficiency, though I routinely measure both B12 and folic acid in all my patients. I have only occasionally found a low B12 level, but low folate levels are present in nearly 20%. Folic acid is the most common vitamin deficiency I have documented. And the mental symptoms of folate deficiency? As in B12 deficiency, long before an anemia develops, mental symptoms of folate deficiency appear. Poor memory is particularly prominent, possibly because folic acid is needed in the synthesis of nucleic acids such as RNA, which appears important in the storage of recent memory events. Apathy, withdrawal, irritability, and slowing of the intellectual processes are the other mental symptoms associated with folic acid deficiency. And of course, folic acid deficiency causes many different birth defects. This is something he's not talking about here because this book is about mental health. But folic acid is mandatory in prenatal vitamins and such because deficiency of folate causes neural tube defects. Cleft lip, cleft palate, hernias, any spinal defects, spina bifida. 
Folic acid is unlikely to be the only nutrient involved in these types of birth defects, but it's one of the most prominent ones, and folic acid by itself, an isolated deficiency, can cause these neural tube defects. And this includes brain defects as well. Remember, the brain is part of the spinal column. So folic acid is involved in forming your brain in the first place and definitely to keep it running properly. Deficiency is particularly likely in the elderly. One study of elderly persons unable to care for themselves found 67% folate deficient. As with B12, folic acid deficiency creates a vicious cycle by preventing the stomach from producing digestive acid and destroying the small intestine's mucosal lining. So without these B vitamins, you can't produce stomach acid properly, which you need to also absorb these nutrients and other nutrients. Your stomach's supposed to be very acidic. So this causes a malabsorption syndrome, further aggravating the nutrient deficiencies. One wonders how many senile nursing home residents, where the average life expectancy from day of admission is six months, are suffering from folic acid deficiency. At least partial reversal of such senility sometimes occurs through good nutrition with nutrient supplements, including one milligram of folic acid twice daily and weekly B12 shots. Epileptics on anticonvulsant medication may experience folic acid deficiency because these drugs destroy folic acid. These anti-epileptic medications cause apathy and slowing of mental processes, probably because of the induced folate deficiency. Giving epileptics folic acid improves their drive, mood, intellectual speed, alertness, concentration, self-confidence, independence, and sociability. But folate deficiency in epileptics should be corrected cautiously, as it occasionally increases the frequency and severity of their fits. That's interesting, I didn't hear that. I would assume that would balance out when you have more nutrients present, and that's not just a random assumption. We deal with epileptics all the time, people with seizures all the time, whether it's their first one or they've had it for 20 years. We give them all 90 essential nutrients. We do not act cautiously here. We give proper doses. We tell them to get off of processed foods. Well, we give them a specific list of our foods. And good luck eating processed foods if you're avoiding our bad food list. We tell them to eat a bunch of eggs and other sources of good fats because the brain is a fatty organ. This is also our basic protocol for other brain diseases, MS, ALS, Huntington's, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all this stuff. We give all 90 essential nutrients. We tell this to everyone anyways. It's the same basic protocol for people with these problems. We just emphasize the fats more. We will add more fat supplements like selenium, fat-soluble, extra omegas, and we'll tell them to eat more fats. We will tell that to the average person too, but we'll emphasize it more for these people, especially someone with epilepsy. They need to heal the brain. You need to give the brain what it's made of. As with thiamine, alcoholics are very likely to be deficient in folic acid because of the intestinal malabsorption caused by drinking. Because folic acid corrects the anemia of B12 deficiency, thereby masking the need for B12, and since folate cannot reverse or prevent further neurologic damage resulting from B12 lack, the government has banned the sale of folic acid supplements stronger than 0.4 milligrams without a doctor's prescription. I didn't know that. I wonder if that's still true. As with B6, increases in estrogen lower folic acid levels, so women taking birth control pills and pregnant women should probably take a supplement. Birth control pills come up in uh, a lot of different places in the alternative health world, interfering with many different nutrients, causing many different symptoms and problems. Chemical birth control, very risky. Unfortunately, it's very, very prevalent. And it is no wonder to us when we get, especially young women, 
coming to us with problems like endometriosis or polycystic ovary syndrome, as well as a bunch of these other things, irritability and depression, anxiety, all that stuff. Folic acid was first identified in spinach, and the name folic is taken from folium, the Latin word for leaf. Little tidbit there. Moving on to choline, C-H-O-L-I-N-E. Sometimes choline is not considered an essential vitamin. I've seen it in textbooks where they say choline is so abundant in the food supply in basically any foods that deficiency is so unlikely that they just don't consider it essential, which... To my knowledge, that's not a criteria. So, part of the B-complex. Choline is the essential component for acetylcholine, a substance which transmits nervous impulses across the gaps between nerves in the nervous system. Acetylcholine, it comes up a lot, transmits nerve impulses. Nerves speak to each other because of acetylcholine. So, choline is part of acetylcholine. And he actually didn't say too much about choline, but it firing nerve impulses is pretty important. So, your, your nervous system, the whole thing for it to work properly, it needs choline. Choline is also helpful in treating cirrhosis, the fatty liver, alcoholics, and other high-fat, low-choline diets develop. In a group of 158 patients with hypertension, choline dropped the blood pressure of all within three weeks, the pressure of one-third of the patients falling to normal. So one-third of them got to normal blood pressure, and all of them dropped just by adding choline. And of course, eggs and yeast, brewer's yeast, are top of the list, best sources of choline. But of course, it's in other foods too, fish, peanuts liver, and more. And I know this podcast is on the long side, and I didn't actually save anything in the next nutrients. I didn't save anything in inositol, another B vitamin, biotin, another B vitamin, or PABA, para-amino benzoic acid. Did not save anything on it. I didn't save anything on so-called vitamin B15 or pangamic acid. Quite honestly, I've never even heard of B15, but... He says here, the Russians have studied B15 most intensely and report it useful in treating alcoholism and other drug addictions, autism, schizophrenia, minimal brain damage, senility, aging, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, liver disease, poisoning, and skin disease. In short, just about anything. Oh, and actually, I should have uh, read this, and I should have remembered this. So this is what we would call B17. Now, people think of B17. And it's not considered an actual vitamin because it's not considered essential, but there's controversy about this B17 from apricot pits. And this is also connected to the Hunza people in the northern Pakistan, Karakarum Mountains, widely considered the longest of people in the world. A lot of people really focus in on the apricots that they eat. They eat a ton of apricots and they press the seeds into oil to cook with for special occasions and to consume as well. And so people think it's because of that apricot oil and the apricots themselves with the B17 that they don't have cancer up in Hunza. But there's many factors, of course. They have high minerals and low stress, strong families, many factors. But this B15 here he's talking about, now that's that fabled B17. It isn't a vitamin at all, they say here in the book, because it has not been proved to be an essential dietary requirement, the absence of which would lead to deficiency or disease. And despite its ambiguous nutritional status, it has been widely studied and accepted primarily in the Soviet Union. Dr. Alan Cott, a nutrition-oriented psychiatrist, believes B15 benefits about 25% of the disturbed children he sees, primarily by stimulating speech in children whose speaking ability is retarded. Dr. Bernard Rimland, director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research in San Diego, believes B15 makes autistic kids more normal. It helps correct a wide range of behavior disturbance. He feels that pangamic acid, or B15 or B17, 
has anti-allergenic properties, and that diseases like autism may be allergies of the nervous system. I'm not really going to comment on that. Remember, I didn't save this section. I'm just reading it for you. And the next point I saved here was on vitamin C. Confusional states in the elderly, often mistakenly considered senality, may be due to vitamin C deficiency, and if so, will clear with 1 gram, or 1,000 milligrams, daily for 3 weeks. Vitamin C in doses of 1 to 2 grams at a time works as a tranquilizer for the anxious. Because of the vitamin sedative effect, similar doses help the insomniac fall asleep. The influence of vitamin C on the mental state is quite remarkable. Because of the body's homeostatic mechanism, a person can increase his intake of vitamin C 10,000 times over and only double the level of vitamin C in the brain. But that doubling may affect the mental well-being tremendously. Some voyagers in cosmic consciousness claim megadoses of vitamin C are superior to psychedelics, meditation, and EST for achieving a state of bliss. Vitamin C, incidentally, along with niacin, has been used for coming down from bad LSD trips. Fever, overactive thyroid, or stress of any type burns vitamin C excessively, which may explain why 3 to 30 grams of vitamin C daily are helpful in severe mental illness, where the sufferer is stressed by extreme anxiety. Possibly vitamin C acts to detoxify a brain poison, as vitamin C helps convert a body chemical, adrenochrome, to lusoadrenochrome, a non-toxic substance. And remember at the very beginning he said vitamin C acts as a chelator, so it helps to pull heavy metals and stuff out of the body. One theory of schizophrenia is that adrenochrome is instead converted into adrenolutin, a toxin which causes hallucinations and bizarre sensory disperception. And the point here that I actually saved on this page. Schizophrenics appear to need much more vitamin C than do other people. Vanderkamp in 1966 found schizophrenics required doses of 10 to 30 grams of vitamin C before they began excreting traces in their urine, indicating that they had received enough vitamin C to saturate their tissues. This was 10 times as much vitamin C as a control group of normal subjects required. So normal people required 10 times less vitamin C before they would see it in their urine. So that suggests that the people with schizophrenia, the body was holding on to that and using it and not excreting it. So they needed 10 times more before extra was excreted in the urine. Megadoses of vitamin C are also useful in treating heroin addiction. 30 to 50 grams given daily in divided doses by mouth every waking hour provide addicts a smooth, symptom-free withdrawal from their narcotic, report doctors Alfred Libby and Erwin Stone. Okay, and I'm skipping forward to the next point that I saved here, still in vitamin C. In a controlled study of 351 students, those with higher blood vitamin C levels scored an average of 5 points higher than those with lower C levels. When those with low vitamin C levels were given supplementary orange juice for 6 months, their IQs increased by 3.54 points. So vitamin C increased their IQ. And I saved this point because I thought it was funny. It says... I am not perfect. I often smoke cigars while writing. Because of this reckless and nasty habit, my wife and son exile me to my study where I must close all the doors to protect the innocent. As I write and smoke feverishly, the air becomes dense and gray. Gradually my inspiration flags. My thoughts become pessimistic and my writing argumentative. At this point I scurry into the kitchen, tap a gram or two of ascorbic acid powder into a glass, squeeze in the juice of an orange or a lemon for the bioflavonoids, swig it down, and return to my typewriter, optimism restored. So he takes more vitamin C because he smokes cigars. And it's well known, actually, the number that's thrown around is uh, 25 milligrams. Each cigarette destroys 25 milligrams of vitamin C in the body. 
And honestly, that's pretty easy to make up for considering that you'll be hard pressed to even find a vitamin C supplement with less than 500 milligrams in it. I take two or three grams a day, which is a thousand milligrams each. So 25 milligrams isn't all that much, but he's saying he takes a gram or two because he's smoking cigars and writing. Numerous studies have demonstrated that smoking tobacco lowers body vitamin C levels. A study demonstrated that the ascorbic acid levels of the blood of smokers were only about 40% of those of non-smokers. So smokers had less vitamin C in their blood. Two grams daily of vitamin C given to the smokers eventually brought their blood vitamin C levels up to about the same levels as non-smokers, though they still excreted less vitamin C in their urine. So they, their bodies kept more vitamin C to deal with the toxins that they're ingesting. And he says he advises smokers to stop, but if you can't or choose not to, two grams of vitamin C daily may provide some protection against the risk of smoking. I would agree. And of course, remember vitamin C, through its effect on collagen, helps maintain the integrity of bones, cartilage, and connective tissues. Which brings us to the next point I saved here. A study reported in 1964 that vitamin C is helpful in treating lower back pain and its use often prevents the necessity of spinal disc surgery because it's used in connective tissue. And you can think of vitamin C as C for connective tissue. I actually did a whole other vitamin C episode on the podcast here already posted and a vitamin D episode. You can check those out. They're deep dives like this on books that are all about those nutrients. And I'll be doing a bunch more of those. I've got a calcium episode coming out soon as well, maybe posted by the time this one is. So going back to that spinal disc surgery not being necessary, he recommended the use of 500 milligrams daily, increasing to 1,000 milligrams per day. This is one gram. If there was any discomfort or if strenuous work or exercise was anticipated. So if you're going to work more, you need more nutrients, including vitamin C. So increase the dose. And there's a bunch more here on vitamin C and vitamin C and cancer, but these are not points that I saved, so I'm jumping forward to the fat-soluble vitamins chapter, starting with vitamin A, of course. During vitamin A deficiency, skin cells grow more rapidly than usual, but die quickly. These cells are crowded forward by other rapidly growing cells, which likewise die quickly until there accumulates a cheesy-like surface of layer on layer of packed dead cells. Dead cells cannot secrete the protective mucus. They also provide the necessary food for bacterial growth and the resulting acne. So I had never heard that explanation of uh, vitamin A deficiency acne. In vitamin A deficiency, skin cells grow more rapidly than usual but die quickly and accumulate and do not secrete the protective mucus and provide the food for bacterial growth. Interesting. And here he's saying don't use antibiotics to kill the bacteria. Instead, use vitamin A. I would agree. Use all the vitamins. Get off the bad foods, especially gluten and sugar. And moving on here to the next point, why should the body require more vitamin A during cold weather? Vitamin A stimulates the body's adrenal and thyroid glands, which maintain the body's metabolism, producing heat and fostering growth. Not only does vitamin A spur these glands, but by a feedback mechanism, increased activity of these glands stimulates the availability of vitamin A. Thus, vitamin A stores in the liver are depleted when the thyroid is underactive. Thyroid appears necessary to convert carotene, the plant precursor, into usable vitamin A. And there's a bunch of carotenes, beta, alpha, delta, gamma, a bunch of other ones. But beta carotene is the one that converts the most into 
retinol or one of the retinols. There's also several retinols. It's a bit confusing that they're all called vitamin A, but that's what it is. There's a bunch of different retinols, and then there's a bunch of different carotenes, which are provitamins that can convert into vitamin A. So when vitamin A is not there to stimulate the adrenal and the thyroid glands, you become sensitive to cold, and your whole body slows down. And when these glands are working properly, they stimulate the availability of vitamin A. And these glands, along with the thymus, remember thymus produce T cells, which are like immune cells, T for thymus. The body's organ of immunity, the thymus, also protect us from infectious illness. Vitamin A feeds them all, feeds all the glands. Frequent cold, sinus trouble, pneumonia, and other respiratory troubles may signal vitamin A deficiency. Vitamin A deficiency also reduces the number of white blood cells, the body's infection fighters. Herein, too, is one possible reason why diabetics are so susceptible to infections. Diabetics, along with hypothyroids, cannot use beta-carotene, the common form of vitamin A in our diet. Diabetics can use animal form vitamin A, the type found in fish liver oil, egg yolk, milk fat, and organ meats, especially liver. There is hardly any vitamin A in pork or beef steak. Old age and disease, especially liver and intestinal disease, decrease the body's ability to transform plant carotene into usable vitamin A. Okay, so he's going on. He's talking about dandruff, vitamin A deficiency dandruff. I would say dandruff could be any of the good fat nutrients, the fatty nutrients. Vitamins D, E, A, and K. These are all fat-soluble vitamins. You can think of them as DEEK, D, E, A, and K. The omegas, selenium and zinc, and cholesterol are the main fatty nutrients we're talking about there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sexual disorders in both sexes have been attributed to vitamin A deficiency as well as birth defects, cleft palate, congenital defects of the eye and heart, and calcium phosphate type kidney stones. Insomnia, fatigue, depression, and nerve pains in the extremities may be signs of vitamin A deficiency as well. Vitamin A levels do decrease under stress, and vitamin A is needed in the manufacture of anti-stress adrenal hormones. So you need vitamin A to make the stuff that calms you down, and when you are stressed, you have less vitamin A. So he prescribes 25,000 IU vitamin A supplement from fish liver oil for anxious patients. In one type of mental illness, anorexia nervosa, the beta-carotene form of vitamin A is markedly elevated in the bloodstream. And by the way, many, many vitamin deficiencies can cause anorexia. Even a couple of mineral deficiencies can cause anorexia in animals and humans. So this vitamin A toxicity actually is something you don't hear very often. In anorexia nervosa, the patient loses his appetite and takes so little food that he becomes severely emaciated. 
Since lack of appetite, anorexia, is a symptom of excessive vitamin A, the finding of excessive beta-carotene, the plant precursor of vitamin A, oh yeah, I should have mentioned that, the carotenes are in plants and the retinols are in animals. So the real vitamin A, fully formed vitamin A, is in animals and the stuff that you can make vitamin A out of somewhat, the carotenes, are from plants. So he says this would seem to have tremendous significance. But he did not expand on that. What's causing the excessive beta-carotene? Is it excessive intake or is it malabsorption or is the body flooding the blood so that it can use it? I, I don't know. wasn't explained. But the next point I saved here is 100,000 units of vitamin A acetate for four to six months lowered cholesterol levels in persons with high cholesterol and hardening of the arteries, but had no effect on persons with normal cholesterol levels. So they give 100,000 units of vitamin A for four to six months to people with high cholesterol and normal cholesterol, and it lowered the people with high cholesterol, but it didn't do anything to the people with normal cholesterol. So that shows how the body can regulate all of these things can buffer all of these things. Now, I did save a point here about cancer. I will read it to you, even though we're focused on mental health here. This is a point I saved because I do save a lot of points on cancer. I do plan eventually to write a book about cancer or to dramatically expand on my cancer chapter in my book, Fake Diseases, which is my best-selling book. So I gave it a big update last year, and I might make it a full-on second edition next year with an expanded cancer chapter with stuff like this. It's saying the National Cancer Institute proposes that vitamin A and substances chemically related to vitamin A, analogs, can make important contributions to the prevention of cancer. More than half of all human cancer starts in the epithelial tissue, skin tissue. Epithelial tissue forms the lining of organs and glands. That's, that's the inner skin. Epithelials, it's not just your outer skin, it's also your inner skin, otherwise known as your fascia. Yeah, it does hold everything together, holds organs together. The same tissues hold veins together. Connective tissue is the second heaviest thing in the body. Your skin is connective tissue. The heaviest thing is muscle. The second heaviest thing is connective tissue. So more than half of all human cancer starts in this connective tissue, in epithelial tissue. The lungs, gut, bladder, and reproductive organs are all lined with this epithelial tissue. The epithelial tissue depends on vitamin A for its normal development. Without sufficient vitamin A, these epithelial cells often undergo precancerous changes. Laboratory studies demonstrate that animals deficient in vitamin A have increased vulnerability to cancer-causing chemicals. Vitamin A deficient animals are more vulnerable to cancer-causing chemicals. Vitamin A protects animals given such chemicals from stomach, lung, respiratory, and uterine cancer. A recent study of over 8,000 Norwegian men demonstrated a diet adequate in vitamin A significantly reduces smokers' chances of developing lung cancer. Further, vitamin A and some closely related substances can actually reverse precancerous changes in the cells of the prostate gland. Cool. And actually, I'm not going to read the point that I saved in vitamin D. It'll take us off track. Skipping to vitamin E here, because he didn't even really comment on vitamin D and depression or mental health or anything, except to say that uh, women, postmenopausal women, should be having more vitamin D. It might make, they might be depressed. Yeah, he could have said a lot, actually, on how vitamin D does relate to mental health, but uh, he didn't. I, I would say, yeah, make sure you're getting vitamin D, both in sun and supplements. 
bare minimum is going to be a thousand IU's a day to me, but a more proper dose, a more responsible dose would be 5,000 international units. Back to the text here, vitamin E, the word tocopherol, vitamin E, is a combination of the Greek tokos, meaning childbirth, with the word pharaoh, meaning to bear, thus to bear children. So vitamin E means to bear children. The discoverer of tocopherol found that male rats deprived of vitamin E became sterile, whereas female rats so deprived were unable to conceive. If given vitamin E but an insufficient amount, they would conceive but were unable to carry the fetus to full term and live birth, so they miscarried. From these early observations, vitamin E has earned a generous reputation as an aphrodisiac. Vitamin E is found in the oils of all grains, nuts, and seeds. It's lost during exposure to air, heating, freezing, and storage. Frying foods in oil, for example, destroys 75% of it. Essentially, none remains in typical supermarket refined oils, or in refined flour and packaged cereals. Because there's oil in all tissues in nature, right? So if you buy the food, it has the oil in it. It's just not pressed into an oil. But it's still protected from oxidation by the skin or the peel or the shell. So oils oxidize much faster. German researchers, first noticing vitamin E's calming effect, dubbed it nature's own tranquilizer. And vitamin E is normally found in the brain and other vital organs, especially the sex, adrenal, and pituitary glands. Their good function is essential for mental health as well as physical health. So you need vitamin E for your brain, your sex organs, your adrenal glands, your pituitary gland. And the pituitary could be called the master gland, right, behind your eyes telling all your other glands what to do, or setting off chain reactions, telling the thyroid to create hormones so that the thyroid now makes a bunch of stuff happen. So you need those glands to work properly in both your mental and physical health. In 1950, doctors reported that vitamin E helped to relieve the symptoms of menopause. Nervousness, fatigue, restless sleep, and insomnia were reduced in more than half of a group of 79 patients, while nearly all the patients suffering heart palpitation, dizziness, and shortness of breath were relieved within two weeks to three months. Skipping forward a bit, remember this is not a complete summary here. You'd have to read the book for all the details. Next point I saved was vitamin E deficiency also causes anemia in premature infants due to increased destruction of blood cells. Just as occurs in animals made deficient experimentally. When animals are fed processed polyunsaturated fats... Their stores of vitamin E are quickly consumed. Once the protective E is exhausted, the polyunsaturates undergo the peroxidation process. You guys have probably heard a bunch of health people talking about PUFAs, right? That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. And if you listen closely, the PUFA people also recognize that you need vitamin E to combat that. But what they're really saying is that oxidized oils are bad. That's the gist of it that they might not even be aware of. It's not the oils themselves, it's the oxidized oils in conjunction with vitamin E deficiency and other nutrient deficiencies that causes the actual problem with these polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs. So once the protective E is exhausted from consuming the PUFAs, the polyunsaturates undergo a peroxidation process, liberating free radicals. Free radicals, radical particles that uh, damage other things. They're an unstable molecule, they're missing an electron, or they have an extra electron, and they just want to bond with anything. So they'll go and bond with your other tissues and they can damage your cells, damage your DNA. This is why we need antioxidants. These free radicals can be called free oxygen radicals. They have been oxidized. 
Oxygen is an extremely reactive molecule. So these reactive oxygen species, you might also hear them called these free radicals, cause damage all throughout the body, and this is why we need antioxidants, including vitamin E, which is an antioxidant, vitamin C, which is an antioxidant, zinc, and many other plant antioxidants, and the antioxidants that we make in our own body, including glutathione, already mentioned before. We make these antioxidants and we consume these antioxidants and many of these compounds are used in running other things in our body, but they also neutralize free radicals because these free radicals are always being produced. You get more of them when you consume oxidized oils or burnt animal fats or anything burnt basically or car exhaust and all that, but you also produce free radicals in your own body. When you breathe, you're producing free radicals. When you digest things, you're producing free radicals. When your cells burn sugar, you're producing free radicals. This is why we have antioxidants. We have a big antioxidant requirement in diet, and we also make a whole bunch of antioxidants ourselves to constantly sweep up these free radicals in the body that are being produced every time we expend any energy. And you're always expending some energy even when you're sleeping, so you're always producing free radicals somewhere. So he's saying these polyunsaturated fats deplete vitamin E, and once the E is exhausted, those same PUFAs undergo peroxidation, and they create a bunch of free radicals. Now you've got a free radical problem. The free radicals wreak cellular havoc, causing destruction and death of nerve, muscle, and blood cells. And that actually doesn't have anything to do with mental health, other than the fact that it's destroying your insides, destroying your body, destroying your cells, damaging your veins, causing them to harden up. These are all pretty serious problems caused by these free radicals. You should know about free radicals. This is why we take antioxidants and avoid processed food and burn foods and burned animal fats and avoid oils, especially. And I did save a point here about heart disease. Heart disease from coronary thrombosis kills over a million people a year in the United States alone. At the turn of the century, bread still contained wheat germ with its vitamin E-rich oil. People used eggs, cream, and butter liberally, all high in cholesterol. But coronary thrombosis was unheard of. In the past 15 years, the American... In and remember, this is in 1980, so the past 15 years means 1965 to 1980. The American intake of animal fat has been reduced by two-thirds, yet the coronary rate until recently has climbed steadily every year. So heart disease keeps going up even though meat consumption went down, animal consumption went down. The declining amounts of vitamin E in the diet have correlated inversely with this generally rising heart attack rate. Before wheat germ was discarded by machine milling and further vitamin E destroyed by the bleaching of flour, a typical American diet contained about 150 IUs of vitamin E. By 1960, this amount had declined precipitously to 15 IUs. It was 150, now it's 15. And today, in 1980... The average diet contains only 7.4 international units of vitamin E. Recently, there has been a slight decrease in coronary disease, probably because Americans now get more exercise and are paying more attention to their diet, which is true. There's more gym memberships in America than anywhere else in the world by far. And I'm in the alternative health business, I promise. It is thriving because so many people are doing it. Americans spend so much money on their health, health products, diet products and programs, gym memberships, all this stuff. So they are trying. Sometimes people beat up on the American people and they say, oh, it's just because they're so lazy and 
and they eat so much. N- no, not really. The average American spends a ton of money on their health and they are looking for options and they try all these diets. They come to us and they say, well, I've tried everything. You know, I bought all the supplements there is and not really, but they think so. They frame it that way. They've done the gyms. They've done the yoga and all, all this other stuff. My point is they're trying. It's not for lack of trying that the American health is so bad. Many people do neglect their health, but many, many people do not. So, yeah, Americans now get more exercise and are paying more attention to their diet. That was true in 1980. It's still true today. A lot of other countries don't even have to try. Those Huns of people up there in the mountains, they just live the way they do and they don't have to worry about this stuff. But in America, you have to try to be healthy. If you don't, you will be unhealthy. It's a guarantee. It has been estimated that 35 million Americans are now taking supplements of vitamin E. And I will bet that number is even higher today. Very common supplement. Bunch of different brands have it in my grocery store and I am in a very small town. And we're going to move on here to vitamin K. And the point I saved here about vitamin K was just about how it came to be named vitamin K. I didn't know this. It comes from coagulation, spelled with a K because that's the Danish spelling of coagulation. Because vitamin K's main function is to assist in blood clotting. And there are at least two different types of vitamin K, by the way, K1 and K2. K1 converts into K2 in the intestines with the probiotics. They're the ones that convert the K1 to K2. Yet another reason to have a healthy gut flora. And of course, antibiotics can produce a vitamin K deficiency because of that. Now, people who eat a lot of green leafy vegetables, tomatoes, pork liver, lean meat, peas, carrots, soybeans, and potatoes probably don't need to supplement with vitamin K. But people on processed diets, it's a good idea. A lot of vitamin D supplements come with vitamin K as well, as does our product, our Longevity brand, which I do sell, of course. And if you would like my advice on supplements for you, I do this for a living. I spend most of my time just answering emails and Instagram messages and taking phone calls to give this advice. So if you want it from me, go ahead and message me on Instagram or email me. You can find those links in the description. And one sign for women that you might be deficient in vitamin K is if you have excessive menstrual flow, excessive bleeding. And he caps this chapter off and this vitamin K section off by saying, The fat-soluble vitamins are vitally important to physical and mental health. Like other nutrients, they can be most reliably obtained by using unprocessed natural oils and fats. We would not recommend those oils. If anything, use good supplements that have those oils in it so that they're protected from oxidation. But basically any oil that you're going to buy in a liquid bottle has been subject to oxidation. The more time, heat, and light that is involved, the more oxidized the oil is. And there are processes of making supplements that can prevent that oxidation or greatly slow it down. And you're not going to find that in every over-the-counter brand, especially the cheap ones. Butter, for example, though maligned in recent years as animal fat, retains its vitamin E, while margarine, though touted as a health spread, is highly processed and contains additives. And he talks about some other foods where we can get the fat-soluble nutrients. And now moving on to the elements, the minerals. Talking about calcium here. I didn't save the description of calcium, but I'll read it to you. Calcium is the most abundant mineral in the body. Adults contain about 3 pounds of calcium, accounting for over 2% of total body weight. Vitamins A, D, and C all facilitate the absorption of calcium. 
and calcium in the diet probably aids in the absorption of B12. They all work together. And I already mentioned, by the way, that I did record a calcium episode recently that will be out soon, probably by the time this podcast is out, so check that out, deep dive on calcium. 99% of our body calcium is present in the bones and teeth. It is the other 1% present in the soft tissues and blood, which crucially affects the nerves. Remember, we're talking about mental health here. Nerves matter for mental health, big time. Extreme calcium deficiency, or tetany, causes muscle twitchings, cramps, confusion, irritation, and spasm of the throat, with labored breathing and convulsions. Tetany is very rare, but I commonly see less severe but nevertheless significant calcium lack. The U.S. Department of Agriculture estimated in 1968 that over 30% of Americans are calcium deficient. I would put that at 90% or more, by the way. Such calcium shortage may result in a grouchy, irritable, tense disposition with depression, impairment of memory, insomnia, and cramping in the calves. There are strong similarities between the symptoms of an anxiety attack and the mental symptoms of calcium deficiency. Doctors administered lactic acid under double-blind conditions to two groups, one comprised of normal subjects and the other patients suffering anxiety. In some cases, calcium ions were added to the lactic acid, forming a compound called calcium lactate. Lactic acid alone precipitated anxiety attacks in 13 out of 14 of the anxious subjects within a minute or two after the infusion was started, and also in 2 of the 10 normal control subjects. But when calcium lactate was used, anxiety symptoms for the most part did not occur. This experiment has two important implications. First, it demonstrates a biochemical cause for anxiety, lactic acid. Second, it indicates that calcium in sufficient quantities will prevent anxiety attacks. And in the calcium episode, I did go into this, how lactic acid is formed in the body due to calcium deficiency and due to sugar, eating too much sugar, converts into lactic acid. And we all know syndromes like gout, which is too much lactic acid. If you ask me what causes gout, I will say right away, calcium deficiency. And that was the point that I saved there about that experiment. And the next one I saved is, further evidence that adequate body calcium promotes mental well-being is provided by Dr. Flack who has discovered that improvement in depression is accompanied by increased retention of calcium in the body. So depression improves as calcium is retained in the body. Anxious individuals frequently hyperventilate. Such rapid deep breathing causes an alkalosis, increased blood bicarbonate, which lowers the level of active calcium in the bloodstream. The resulting calcium deficiency induces confusion, dizziness, numbness, and muscle cramps. Skipping forward to the next point, Allergy sufferers are often benefited by calcium supplements, perhaps because calcium lowers histamine and excessive histamine causes allergic reaction. Now, regular medical doctors use antihistamines to suppress this histamine, right? But histamine is a stress hormone, so it's a sign that the body is under some kind of stress. Well, a deficiency can be stressful for the body itself. It's a fundamental stress. So calcium deficiency causes increased histamine. And rather than using an antihistamine drug, we use the nutrients that the body needs to regulate itself properly, and then it won't have excessive stress hormones or histamine or anything. Dr. Alice Bernheim relieved allergy symptoms in 80% of 30 chronic cases by using calcium, plus other measures to aid calcium absorption. Eight of her patients previously had taken calcium alone without effect. One of the cases completely relieved of all symptoms for the first time was an asthmatic with severe eczema and hay fever. Birth control pills, once again, lower blood calcium and zinc and raise blood copper and iron. Because as zinc goes down, 
copper usually goes up and vice versa. Zinc and copper are antagonists. Bodies depleted of calcium and the other essential minerals are sitting ducks for the invasion of toxic metals, lead, cadmium, and mercury, while abundant body calcium and other minerals discourage the uptake of toxic metals as well as radioactive strontium-90. I use calcium supplements with other minerals to treat lead, mercury, or cadmium toxicity. Remember, this is Dr. Lesser writing this. I'm not allowed to treat anything or use that word, treat. And he goes on talking about foods and different supplement types to get calcium. And I actually disagree with him there. I'm not going to read that to you. There's no way you're going to get enough calcium in foods. Moving on to magnesium here. Magnesium maintains vital body balances with sodium and chloride and calcium and phosphorus. It is required by protein and carbohydrate metabolism and involved in the heart, kidneys, and bones, which contain 66% of our magnesium. Magnesium is a natural tranquilizer for the nervous system, and I use it extensively in my practice. So magnesium and calcium work directly together. Calcium contracts muscles, and magnesium relaxes them. It was already mentioned that calcium acts sort of as a tranquilizer, that it also relaxes the nervous system. And it's true, it's a little bit confusing because it contracts muscles, but yet it also relaxes the nervous system. Well, calcium and magnesium are very similar in that regard, and like I said, they do work together in bones and muscles. And magnesium is a cofactor for many enzyme reactions in the body. Enzymes are proteins that do work. So you need enzymes to digest foods and do all kinds of things in the body. And you need magnesium for like 300 of those enzyme transactions or more. And magnesium is one of the most popular supplements today, by the way, especially for people with restlessness, anxiety, muscle cramps, sleeping problems, all this stuff. But we don't recommend taking magnesium by itself. We recommend taking it with calcium, the proper dose, the proper ratio of calcium, and the other cofactors for both of them. This is all 90 essential nutrients, basically. This is what it means. And we always have a strong dose of calcium and magnesium in our products because they're incredibly important. We need big doses of them. Ever wonder why excessive drinking produces a hangover? Alcohol generates a loss of body water and thus of water-soluble vitamins and many minerals, chiefly magnesium. I already mentioned this. All the common hangover symptoms, sensitivity to sounds, twitching, tremors, dizziness, rapid heartbeat, aching muscles, fatigue, depression, and grouchiness, are also typical symptoms of magnesium deficiency. Other nutrient deficiencies can also induce such symptoms, and vitamin B1, thiamine, loss, is partly responsible for alcoholic hangover. But thiamine deficiency cannot be corrected with thiamine alone unless sufficient magnesium is present in the body. So I always give alcoholics thiamine and magnesium. Because of its calming effect on the nervous system, I commonly employ magnesium in treating anxiety, depression, insomnia, and hyperactivity in children. In a study of suicide statistics, French scientist M.L. Robinet discovered that the comparison of geological maps and statistics establishes in a striking manner the influence of magnesium content of the soil on a number of suicides. It is evident that one doesn't commit suicide because the soil is poor in magnesium, but those who regularly absorbed a good amount of magnesium salts have a more stable equilibrium, they support adversity with more calm and do not renounce everything to avoid some sorrow. The use of magnesium permits one to support adversity with more serenity. Total body magnesium is low in psychiatric depression and increases with recovery. So people with depression are low in magnesium and the magnesium increases with recovery. And yeah, this map in France where Robinet overlapped the two maps showing 
where suicides happened and where magnesium was in the soil. And there was a very obvious correlation between the places with low magnesium in the soil and high suicides. And something similar has also been done in America by Dr. Gerhard Schrauser regarding lithium. Birth control pills once again decrease serum magnesium levels. So if you're a female and you're on birth control and you're depressed or anxious or have some sort of mental health disturbance, you really might want to evaluate that link because birth control pills show up again and again here. seems to be just as bad as alcoholism in terms of depleting nutrients. Key nutrients that you need for your nervous system and mental health. Magnesium is at its lowest in women during the menstrual period. Severe magnesium deficiency can even induce visual hallucinations, delirium, confusion, and seizures, as seen in alcoholic withdrawal. These symptoms may be partly due to an associated calcium depletion, as a person low in magnesium cannot absorb adequate calcium. Remember, calcium and magnesium, they work together. Low body magnesium may precipitate kidney stones. Already mentioned that, and by the way, I'm planning to do a magnesium deep dive as well. And even though I often call stones a calcium deficiency, it's kind of a shorthand because when I say calcium deficiency, I usually mean calcium and its cofactors, especially magnesium. Magnesium has a lot to do with the ion exchange of calcium in the cells. It can be pretty complicated. I'll get into it on the deep dive. And skipping forward, emphasizing its importance in mental function, magnesium is the only electrolyte which has a higher level in the brain fluid than in the blood plasma. And I'm going to skip the section on obtaining magnesium, where to get it in foods, and talking about the different supplements, because we've just gone through a fair list of nutrients here. I don't want you thinking that you have to eat all these different foods to get all these different nutrients, as I already mentioned. That can be a confusing and pretty much impossible enterprise if you're trying to do that in America or in any modern place where you're going to the grocery store to buy your foods. I just definitely wouldn't count on getting all 90 essential nutrients from foods. Again, it's very important to eat real foods and to avoid processed foods, but that doesn't mean you're trying to get all your nutrients from foods alone. We do it with supplements, and anything that's in the food is value-added to us. It's just a bonus. So moving on to sodium here. The primary function of sodium is to maintain the body's fluid balance and pressure. Thus, the higher the level of blood sodium, the higher the blood pressure, and vice versa. Which, by the way, is balanced with potassium. And he goes on here to talk about how basically we're not getting enough potassium and we're eating too much junk food with salt in it. It's not that salt itself is bad. It's that in the presence of other nutrient deficiencies, it becomes bad. And I actually don't agree with him on a lot of what he says about salt here. Just because... Dr. Lesser here is on the alternative side, doesn't mean we're going to agree with everything. And I'm not really going to get into salt here, maybe I will do a salt deep dive, especially using the book The Salt Fix by Dr. James DiNico Lantonio. Great book. And we talk about salt a lot in our regular business, so moving forward to potassium. Potassium has a direct effect on blood sugar. Potassium deficiency is associated with an abnormality in the blood sugar tolerance. Test. And potassium is vital for the function of nerve, heart, and muscle cells. A deficiency of potassium causes muscle fatigue. It's also involved with sodium in maintaining the body's balance between acid and base, or acid and alkalinity. Potassium deficiency may account for the fatigue hypoglycemics experience, people with low blood sugar. And he didn't talk too much about mental health, but we can infer that uh, having a nervous system that works properly and a muscular system that works properly is going to be good for our mental health overall. And he talks about sulfur here, but I didn't save anything in sulfur. So moving on to the trace minerals. 
I didn't save anything in copper, but in the zinc section, I saved zinc is part of the insulin molecule and has been found lacking in the pancreas of diabetics. It is added to injectable insulin to prolong its action. And remember that we put anxiety depression in our blood sugar category. If you're talking to us, you say, hey, what causes anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD, manic depression, bipolar? We would say, hey, that's in the blood sugar category to us. And so zinc is part of that. Zinc is one of the important nutrients in blood sugar. And so I was just saving that. It's part of the insulin molecule. Zinc deficiency is common in alcoholics and increases their tolerance for booze. When the body contains adequate zinc, it reacts strongly to alcohol. Oily skin, hair loss, lack of appetite, apathy, and lethargy are signs of zinc deficiency. I would also say white spots on the nails. It's another telltale sign of zinc deficiency. White spots on the nails. Skipping forward, I didn't save anything in iron. Moving on to manganese. Manganese deficiency in birds causes bone disease. Deficiency produced experimentally in mammals results in slowed growth, bone abnormalities, reproductive dysfunction, and nerve disorders. In 1964, Dr. Kosenko measured the whole blood manganese of 122 diabetics and found it was only half that of normal controls. Since then, it has been demonstrated that lack of manganese raises blood sugar excessively, and giving manganese reverses this type of diabetes. Psychiatrist Richard Coonan reported low hair manganese levels in patients with shaking tremors from the long-term use of major tranquilizers. Manganese at 30 to 60 micrograms per day improved 14 of his 15 cases. This improvement may have occurred because manganese aids metabolism of the B vitamin choline, which also often corrects this condition. Moving on to chromium, another one of the key nutrients for blood sugar. We need a minuscule amount, but it is indispensable to healthy blood sugar and fat metabolism. Without chromium, insulin is ineffective, causing diabetes. Because type 2 diabetes, this is me inserting this, type 2 diabetes has nothing to do with insulin deficiency. That's type 1. In type 1, the pancreas is not producing enough insulin. But in type 2, there's more than enough insulin. In fact, so much that it may be damaging them on the inside. The insulin itself, because the body can't use the insulin without chromium and other trace minerals like vanadium. So without chromium, insulin is ineffective, causing diabetes, and cholesterol cannot be metabolized, resulting in hardening of the arteries. And I'm glad he said causing diabetes, because if you asked us what causes diabetes on the cellular level, we're going to be talking about chromium, vanadium, zinc, B vitamins, essential fatty acids. It's a nutrient deficiency. There are many things that can exacerbate that deficiency, such as eating too much sugar, alcohol, all that stuff. The food factors matter, but the root cause is nutrient deficiency. And chromium is the top of the list there. If you didn't know, we've eliminated diabetes in the animal industries since the 1950s. So 70 years ago, we figured this out, added these trace minerals to animal feeds, and diabetes was no longer a problem. Dr. Schroeder compared chromium-fed rats with a control group on a low-chromium diet. The rats given chromium grew faster and survived longer. They had normal blood sugars, low blood cholesterol levels, because, by the way, the same factors that cause blood sugar problems also cause high cholesterol. And a blood sugar problem itself will cause a cholesterol problem. It's a domino effect. They had normal blood sugars, low cholesterol levels, and did not develop atherosclerotic plaques in their arteries. The low chromium group had elevated blood sugar and blood cholesterol levels, and 20% exhibited aortic plaques. The American diet provides 60% of its calories from refined sugar, refined flour, and fat. 
Most of the chromium is stripped away in processing. Refining sugar from sugar cane, for example, removes 94% of the chromium. So in nature, sugar should be coming with some chromium, meaning it comes with the stuff you need to process the sugar. But when we process it, now you're just getting the sugar. No nutrients to process that sugar. Of course it causes a problem. Since chromium is required in sugar metabolism, our high sugar and starch diet further depletes chromium. So the more sugar we eat, the more chromium we need in order to process that sugar. You can see how serious problems can be created by this situation. The high incidence of diabetes and hardening of the arteries thus appears to be closely linked to inadequate chromium intake. I would agree. Moving on to selenium. He describes selenium as an antioxidant here, but actually it's little bit of a nitpicky thing here, but some people don't consider it an antioxidant because selenium itself doesn't function as an antioxidant, but it allows your body to utilize glutathione and other antioxidants. So the master antioxidant that you produce in your body, glutathione, it needs selenium to work properly. So many people still refer to selenium as an antioxidant, and it doesn't really matter. It's just a technical distinction here. Dr. Gerhard Schrauser of the University of California at San Diego reports lower amounts of cancer in areas where the soil is selenium-rich and thus the diet is high in selenium. Breast and ovarian cancer in women, prostate cancer in men, and leukemia, lung cancer, and colorectal cancer in both sexes all show a lower incidence in selenium-rich areas. Dr. Schrauser fed laboratory mice a fish diet rich in selenium and found they developed breast cancer less often than mice on a milk and meat diet. When two parts per million of selenium was added to their drinking water, the incidence of tumors in the mice was reduced eightfold. Selenium is unevenly present in the soil of the states. Ohio has the lowest, and my native South Dakota has the highest soil selenium content in the nation. Possibly the high selenium explains why South Dakotans enjoy one of the highest longevity rates in the country. We Dakotans, enduring blazing hot summers and terrible winter blizzards, used to joke that it just seemed as if we lived longer. Selenium shortage is a suggested cause of cataracts because the concentration of selenium in cataract lens is only one-sixth that present in a normal eye lens. The toxicity of cadmium, arsenic, silver, mercury, and copper is more pronounced in selenium deficiency. Adequate selenium protects against the toxic effects of those metals. And this is very well known actually now that selenium can remove mercury and other metals and poisons from the body. And he did not actually connect this to mental health. But I assume if you have cancer, you're going to be a little bit more stressed, to put it mildly. So you need selenium to be healthy in general and to protect against very serious diseases. Not just cancer, but cardiomyopathy, heart attack, or athlete's heart, which is usually fatal. And we would also put muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, and even sudden infant death syndrome in the selenium deficiency category. I know that last one is kind of controversial. A lot of people in our audience want to believe that vaccines are the primary cause of sudden infant death syndrome, but we would say if that is true, it is because the poisons in the vaccines, especially the mercury, cause more selenium deficiency. You need selenium to deal with those poisons. Most people are already selenium deficient in this food supply. You inject poisons into the body. Now you need even more selenium to deal with that. If you don't have enough, then you can have heart failure, cardiomyopathy, heart attack. And when it happens in babies, they call it SIDS. Dr. Wallet connected all this, by the way, in Kishan, China. He went to China in 1989 to connect what they call Kishan disease, which is basically cardiomyopathy, heart attack. 
He wanted to connect that together with cystic fibrosis and muscular dystrophy and sudden infant death syndrome. He autopsied 1,700 children who died of Keyshawn disease in order to prove that link, and he did prove it. And by the way, I included that study in a recent publication we did that I did in conjunction with Dr. Wallach. It's a primates textbook. It's called Primates Medical and Surgical Management. And at the end there, I included the cystic fibrosis case in the Keyshawn study. You can find that book on Amazon or on my website, notusbooks.org. Just saying that although he didn't really go into mental health here, selenium is most definitely one of the most important nutrients when it comes to avoiding very serious disease and fatal disease. So there is no mental health if you are dead, and nobody wants a serious disease like cancer or muscular dystrophy for them or their children. Moving on to lithium, the point I saved here was actually about tobacco. Lithium is abundant in sugarcane, seaweed, and tobacco. Possibly it is tobacco's lithium content which accounts partially for the soothing effect of smoking. Oh, I thought that was interesting. Lithium carbonate is increasingly used today in psychiatry. Lithium was widely employed in the mid-19th century to treat kidney disease, stones, gout, rheumatism, as well as many other disorders. Soreness of Ephesius, early in the 2nd century, first suggested alkaline waters, high in lithium, to treat mania. But it was the Australian physician John Cade who first successfully treated manic patients with lithium in 1949. Dr. Cade's discovery, made in a small Melbourne hospital, excited little interest. Unlike tranquilizers, which are patentable drugs with profit potential, lithium, present in nature, could not be patented. As no drug firm could hold a monopoly on lithium, the profit incentive was lacking. Isolated reports of effectiveness, mainly from Magen Schau in Denmark, kept the treatment alive until a few dedicated researchers finally introduced it into American medical practice in the late 1960s. Today, although accepted by academic psychiatry as a treatment of choice for manic depressive mood swings, Lithium use is only slowly spreading. The dosage required to treat manic excitement is 900 to 1500 milligrams daily. The ability to tolerate lithium increases during the manic episode and decreases when manic symptoms subside. Manic patients retain more lithium than normal controls, excreting the excess in the urine upon recovery. Once adequate blood levels are achieved, recovery occurs in one to two weeks. Patients are usually maintained on lithium indefinitely as it prevents recurrence of manic episodes. It seems to prevent recurrence of depressive mood swings as well. Dr. Nathan Klein, respected American researcher, recently suggested lithium as a treatment for depressive paranoia. I have also found lithium helpful in counteracting depressive paranoia in some schizophrenics. Sigmund Freud first noticed this relationship between paranoia and depression. Depressives live in a pessimistic, malevolent world. By developing paranoia, the sufferer provides himself a focus for the anger underlying every depression. He can fix his anger on an object, the persecutor who is making his life miserable. With this invented foe, the paranoid no longer has to admit to his anger and is distracted from his overwhelming depression. Lithium can be dramatically successful in relieving such individuals, whose tendency to grandiosity and receiving special messages is, after all, similar to mania. So I would say that lithium is definitely one of the most important nutrients when it comes to mental health, and I wish he talked more about Schrauser's studies with suicides that I mentioned earlier. Perhaps we will get to that on another deep dive here. I do have that in another book. I did not save anything about rubidium, and the next point I saved here is in a chapter about detecting and avoiding the toxic metals. 
Since magnesium is next to aluminum on the periodic table of elements, perhaps magnesium will displace the aluminum, he advised. I prescribed magnesium, and a few months later, Jones' blood aluminum had fallen to 120 micrograms per deciliter. It had worked. The magnesium displaced the aluminum. As she continued taking the magnesium, Jones' aluminum level eventually fell to a normal 19 micrograms per deciliter, and her irritability disappeared and her memory and ability to concentrate improved. So a lot of people are concerned about aluminum toxicity. So I saved this point. It just says taking magnesium basically decreases the aluminum, which is true in many other minerals, as I already mentioned, zinc and copper. If you have excess copper, which can definitely be toxic, you increase the zinc and the copper goes down. Skipping forward to cadmium, again, still in the toxic metals chapter here. Cadmium exists in balance with zinc in nature. Sufficient zinc protects against cadmium pollution. Refining food removes more zinc than cadmium, disturbing the protective balance. A diet high in refined foods therefore leads to a buildup of cadmium. Soft drinking waters, as opposed to hard, contain excessive cadmium, as does a widely advertised cola drink. wonder which one he's talking about. Hard water contains calcium and magnesium bicarbonates, which precipitate on metal pipes, laying down a hard protective coating. Soft water, especially if it is acid, leaches out metal from the pipes, the most hazardous of which is cadmium. So we need zinc to balance cadmium. And skipping forward, the next point that I saved here is in another chapter called Neurosis and Blood Sugar. Talking about lithium again. Lithium, the mineral which curbs the wide oscillations in mood characteristic of manic depressive illness, also levels out the oscillations in blood sugar levels of manic depressives. Perhaps this is just one of the reasons it works. So I already talked about your mood rising and falling with your blood sugar levels. And I didn't actually know that lithium had a direct effect on blood sugar, helping to even out the wide fluctuations between high blood sugar and low blood sugar. Once we even that out, basically our mood should be stable as well. So the peaks and the valleys of the blood sugar are not so extreme, and same with our moods. And he talks here about some drugs, marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, and all their relationships to blood sugar. But skipping forward, the next point that I saved here, he says, When low blood sugar is accompanied by an underactive thyroid, I prescribe thyroid. Hypothyroidism cannot be corrected if the adrenal is also weak, so I must first make certain that the gland is healthy. Okay, moving forward to a new chapter, Allergies and Addictions in a section about histamine in allergies. Already talked about histamine a little bit. Most nutrient deficiencies, especially of the B vitamin family, cause poor digestion. Nutrient deficiencies cause digestion problems. When proteins remain undigested, the amino acid histidine, a normal building block of protein, can be converted by putrative intestinal bacteria into histamine. Similar names there, the amino acid histidine can be converted by putrefactive intestinal bacteria into histamine. So that's bad bacteria. Not enough probiotics. So your amino acid, if undigested, because proteins are made of amino acids, right? We're supposed to break them up in the stomach and the intestine so that our body can absorb the individual amino acids. But if proteins are undigested, then the histidine can get into the large intestine. It's supposed to be absorbed before that. It's supposed to be absorbed in the small intestine. If it makes it down to the large intestine, then putrefactive intestinal bacteria can convert it into histamine. And many people are concerned with elevated histamine because it's the substance which causes the toxic allergic reaction. 
Antihistamine drugs are employed to treat allergy, but aren't very effective and usually cause drowsiness. Of course, they don't correct the malnutrition which underlies the allergy. Vitamin C and the B vitamins pyridoxine and pantothenic acid all have antihistaminic action and are therefore helpful in allergy. The amino acid methionine and calcium also lower histamine and help allergies. And that was the only point I saved there. Moving on to a new chapter, sex and nutrition. First point I saved, vitamin E is absolutely necessary to the gonadotropic hormones functions. The gonad hormones. They're what produce sperm and the male sex hormone. And in women, they stimulate the development of the egg and the production of female sex hormones. Vitamin E is more concentrated in the pituitary than in any other part of the body. Remember master gland there, pituitary gland? Tells other glands what to do, including the thyroid. Thyroid has a lot to do with your energy and drive and even sexuality. So the pituitary working properly should allow your thyroid and other glands to work properly and you produce hormones properly. It is an essential nutrient for hormone production, vitamin E here is still talking about, and acting as an antioxidant protects pituitary and adrenal hormones from destruction by oxygen. Zinc is also present in high concentrations in the pituitary and affects the secretion of several pituitary hormones. Zinc is key to the function of several other body glands and their secretions. It is abundant in the liver, kidneys, adrenals, prostate, and testes. Pituitary deficiency is associated with the underdevelopment of the sex organs. An underfunctioning pituitary causes premature aging, resulting in early menopause in women and impotence in men. The pituitary depends on complete proteins such as those found in meat, fish, milk, and cheese, as well as in whole grains, nuts, and seeds. The B-complex vitamins found in the aforementioned sources and in wheat germ and green vegetables feed the pituitary, especially pantothenic acid, choline, and riboflavin. Brewer's yeast and desiccated liver are excellent B vitamin supplements. And now moving on to the thyroid gland. Located in the front of the throat, the adult thyroid gland is butterfly-shaped and weighs up to two-thirds of an ounce. Its secretion, the hormone thyroxine, controls metabolism. The thyroid is vital to sexuality. An underactive gland results in lethargy, tiredness, overweight, and lack of desire and capacity for sex. Conversely, an overactive thyroid, hyperthyroidism, races the body's metabolism, sometimes causing psychotic mental excitement and rampant sexuality. Iodine is the essential constituent of thyroxine. Nearly all of the body's iodine is in the thyroid. If one of my patients has a sluggish sex drive and other signs of slowed metabolism, I prescribe 150 micrograms of organic iodine, along with thiamine, B1, also crucially needed by the thyroid. Normally, cold weather and physical exercise spark energy because they increase thyroid function. If they don't, it's a tip-off that thiamine is needed. The other B vitamins and vitamin E are also important. So, almost everyone knows about iodine already. Iodine was actually the first nutrient that was ever added into food supplies. I believe that was in the 1920s because all the way back then, it was realized that people who were eating processed foods were deficient in some nutrients, especially iodine. And we didn't even have all the essential nutrients figured out or anything like that, but they started to iodize salt and add iodine into other foods, again, a long time ago, 100 years ago. So almost everyone already knows about iodine and the thyroid, but most people who come to us with a thyroid problem are already on iodine. So yeah, you need iodine to make thyroid hormone, thyroxine, but the thyroid needs many other nutrients. You just mentioned B1 here. And I already mentioned earlier in the podcast that calcium deficiency is actually the category that thyroid problems falls into in our camp here. 
It's not only calcium, a whole bunch of nutrients involved, but as a shorthand, it's in the calcium deficiency category. All right, next point here is on the adrenal glands. Adrenaline, the survival hormone, accelerates heart rate and pours sugar into the bloodstream. It raises the blood pressure and directs blood flow to the liver, brain, and muscles. In effect, it makes us super smart and super strong to deal with the sudden stress. It also causes anxiety and inhibits sexual desire. Adrenaline stimulants include the nicotine in tobacco, low blood sugar, exercise, and histamine, as well as psychic or physical trauma. Adrenaline is calorigenic, or it burns calories, but it's a very nervous way to lose weight. And I didn't save this point, but I'll read it to you. The specific nutrients I prescribe for adrenal weakness are the vitamins pantothenic acid, 250 milligrams twice daily, riboflavin, 200 milligrams daily, niacin, 100 milligrams twice daily, vitamin A, 10,000 IU fish liver oil daily, vitamin E, 200 IU two to three times a day, and most important, vitamin C, 3 grams daily. Remember, vitamin C is concentrated in the adrenal glands. Next point here is about cholesterol. It's true that cholesterol plaques clogging the arteries lead to the heart and circulatory disease. But the problem is not cholesterol. The problem is that the cholesterol is not metabolized. A highly processed diet is deficient in the B vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin E, lecithin, magnesium, manganese, and zinc. All of these are needed to metabolize cholesterol. Unable to enter the cells and to make hormones, the cholesterol remains in the blood, forming cholesterol plaques. Butter and eggs, then, are perfectly healthy foods, supplying cholesterol and other nutrients needed to make sex hormones for optimal sexual vigor. Remember, we're still in the sex and nutrition chapter here. Skipping forward, one real solution to high cholesterol is simply to eat less, because blood cholesterol rises directly with increased caloric intake. Increasing exercise and reducing stress also help lower cholesterol. The most sensible diet is one including whole, unprocessed foods rich in the nutrients needed to use dietary cholesterol. I prescribe such a diet, high in cholesterol, regularly for my patients, and routinely see a drop in their blood cholesterol on retesting. And we do the exact same. We recommend high cholesterol diet for everyone. And if you have high cholesterol, taking the nutrients and avoiding processed foods in general should bring that cholesterol down. Skipping forward to testosterone and marijuana. In a study of 20 young heterosexual males aged 18 to 28 who used marijuana at least four times a week for six months, it was found that their average plasma testosterone was only a little more than half of a non-marijuana smoking control group. The testosterone was directly related to the amount of marijuana they smoked. Those smoking five to nine joints a week had an average plasma testosterone of 503 nanograms per 100 milliliters, or nanogram percent. Those smoking 10 or more joints averaged only 309 nanogram percent. The non-users had an average plasma testosterone of 742 nanogram percent. Plasma testosterone levels returned to normal within two weeks when users abstained from marijuana. Since testosterone is correlated with aggression and marijuana often appears to suppress aggressive behavior and increase passivity, lowering of testosterone may be the mechanism whereby this is accomplished. Next, talking about sperm here, vitamins A, E, C, and folic acid all work synergistically with testosterone to develop mature sperm and the normal male sex characteristics, such as deepening the voice, developing the beard, male baldness, and enlargement of the prostate gland. Vitamin E deficiency, in particular, causes degeneration of the testicles and decreased hormone production. 
and skipping past the nutrient makeup of sperm. I saved the point. Selenium deficiency has been related to infertility in animal studies. And many different nutrients are related to infertility in animal studies, by the way. Many of the essential nutrients. Next point I saved here was in the female sex gland, the ovary. Deficiency of the B vitamin folic acid eliminates the normal response of reproductive organs to estrogen, resulting in abnormalities in pregnancy. Niacin is needed in the synthesis of cholesterol, from which estrogens are made. Yeah, if you didn't know, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, pregnenolone, all these steroid hormones are made from cholesterol. Cholesterol is the master steroid in the body by which all these other steroid hormones are derived. And he already mentioned vitamin E is crucial to reproduction and sexual health. It's synergistic with testosterone as well, the hormone which increases sexual desire. So the next point I saved here, first he was talking about the use of DES, diethylstilbestrol, which is a synthetic estrogen used to fatten animals quickly, which was banned in America in 1979. But the point I actually saved here was, though animals are no longer receiving DES, many young women still are. DES is the morning after pill prescribed to prevent conception after sexual intercourse. This is the same DES prescribed in the 40s and 50s to prevent complications during pregnancy. That practice was abruptly ended when it was found that some young women exposed to DES while in the womb, 20 years later developed cancer of the vagina. DES has also been linked to cancer of the womb, uterus, in women who used it during pregnancy. Women really get the short end of the stick when it comes to medical practice. And unfortunately, women listen to doctors more than men, so they start taking more drugs younger. Everything from antibiotics and birth control to over-the-counter pain meds like Advil, aspirin. And they tend to listen to doctors more throughout life. And I could tell you many stories where couples come to me and it's the woman who's got all these health problems and the man is relatively fine even though they eat practically the same things. And if anything, the man eats worse he smokes cigarettes and drinks beer and stuff, and the woman tries to be healthier, and yet she's the one with the diseases. This is only one of the factors that contributes to that. There's also the fact that they bleed and have children, which depletes much more nutrients, all other things being equal, than men. And to hammer that in even more here, Dr. Valerie Burrell, in analyzing data on British users of birth control pills, found that users and ex-users have a combined risk of death that is higher than that of non-users. So women using birth control have an increased risk of death. This finding is particularly ominous because women in the pill-using group were less likely to have a history of previous major illness than non-users. The risk of death from vascular disease is three times greater, from suicide four times greater, from cancer twice as high, among users and ex-users of the pill. A little known fact about the pill is that it changes the acid alkaline balance of the vagina, increasing the user's susceptibility to venereal disease and other vaginal infections. If a woman has sex with a gonorrhea-infected man, she has a one-third chance of contracting gonorrhea. If she uses a diaphragm with a spermicidal jelly, which also kills germs, her chances are much lower. Similarly, foam offers protection against VD, as do condoms. But if a woman is on the pill, her chance of getting gonorrhea jumps to more than 90%. And he talks even more about birth control, depleting many nutrients. And then the next point that I saved here, one in five pill users develops a suspicious pap smear after three or four years on the pill. 
Some physicians think that this is a precancerous change and recommend surgery. New York City hematologist Dr. John Lindenbaum prescribed pill users with abnormal pap smears 10 milligrams of folic acid daily by mouth for three weeks, leaving them on the pill. In every case, the pap smear returned to normal or near normal, just with folic acid. And actually, that was the last point that I saved here in this book. I think it was a pretty great overall deep dive into how many different nutrients and other things can affect our mental health. Of course, I didn't share everything in this book. I highly recommend it anyways. Nutrition and Vitamin Therapy by Dr. Michael Lesser. And I do plan to do more deep dives like this in the future on this podcast. Of course, remember I've written my own books. And my two best-selling books are both about health. The first one is Fake Diseases. The second one is Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. You can find both of those and the free versions once again on my website, notusbooks.org. And you can also find an archive of these podcasts. I intend to put videos on there as well. Since my podcast did get deleted, I did lose many episodes. Thank you very much, Spotify. So if that does ever happen again, I would like to have all this backed up on an archive. And right now you can go to my archive on my website, noticebooks.org archive. All the new episodes will be on there as well as past episodes and you can download them there for free or listen to them right there, whatever. And if you do listen on the website, I do have a special treat at the very end. So those listening on the site, stay tuned after I sign off. And I do appreciate all of you being here with me no matter where you listened. I do want to mention the Patreon that I set up recently. Patreon.com slash The Real Notice. Of course, spelled not us. Patreon.com slash The Real Not Us. I don't have any extra exclusive content on there, but I do appreciate the extra support. As I mentioned at the beginning, we do get paid from product sales. I make my living that way, and book sales is the second biggest income. But business is so good, actually. I've been so busy doing that that I really haven't had much time to make content. And when my podcast was taken down, it did give me some time to think. And I did decide that this podcast is, I think, the most important way that I can spend that spare time. We do very well on Instagram, but I've wasted a lot of time on YouTube. And so right now I'm only making health-focused content for our captive audience on the Wallach's Warriors YouTube channel. It's not meant to go out there and get viral and create a sensation. It's not clickbait. The shocking truth about this nutrient, you know, stuff like that. Not into that. So I'm going to be focusing here on podcasts, and the reason I bring up Patreon is because one thing I'd like to do is read these books in full, do full audiobooks, because I don't want to be hit with any copyright claims. And copyright is actually the ostensible reason that Spotify deleted my podcast, which is a bit nuts to me because on YouTube and Instagram, we've had many copyright claims and other strikes, their community guidelines strikes, we've had videos taken down, we've had... The whole Wallach's Warriors YouTube channel demonetized, even though it only talks about health stuff and no videos got actually taken down from that account. We had no strikes or anything, but they demonetized it. I'm just saying that on YouTube and Instagram, we've had many different strikes, many different problems, both copyright and content claims, but we still have our accounts. We've never had an account deleted. Whereas with Spotify, there was one claim and the claim came from Spotify itself and I was given no recourse at all. I read online that many people got their accounts back when they had a copyright problem. They just took down the content in question. And I told Spotify, no problem, take down whatever it is. 
I couldn't even see it, the links they gave me. They didn't even give me the ability to see what post it was, what the claim was. I said I'd happily take it down, or they can take it down, no problem. They never did any of that, instead they deleted my account completely and permanently. With no warning, again, no strikes, no recourse, nothing you could do. And I don't know if it truly was about copyright, or if there was some decision made about the content of the podcast, because if you didn't know, this alternative health stuff is extremely controversial. There is a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. All big tech companies as a rule, all big companies in general, invest in pharmaceutical companies. Because big companies, they invest in other big companies. They invest in many companies, but I'm saying that any big company, whether it's GM or Ford or Facebook or Alphabet, who owns Google, who also owns YouTube, all of these huge companies all have stock in pharmaceutical companies. And several of these companies, like Alphabet, are actually directly invested in medical technologies and softwares. So they are staked in with the regular medical world, which is drugs, tests, surgeries, radiation, mainstream medicine, allopathic medicine. That's what they're invested in. So it might be that Google and Facebook, they just hate vitamins and minerals and they just want to suppress that information. Or it might be that because they're so heavily invested in the pharmaceutical industry and in the medical industry in general, that's why they suppress alternative health information. Anyways, I'm saying that I would like to read these books, but I am scared of a copyright claim at this point if they can just delete my entire podcast for a copyright claim. And I'm not using Anchor anymore, so I'm not using Spotify to publish. I'm using Acast now. But still, if I'm going to do audiobooks like this, of other people's books, not my own books, then I do think I should put that on Patreon. So if I do get some more subscribers on Patreon, that is one thing I would like to do. I'm not making any promises here, but I've always said that I don't want to have any content behind a paywall. Like, I don't want to have a course. This is how you get healthy, but you have to pay for this course. I never wanted to do that. I didn't want to have secret content that you only have to pay for. But I feel like if I do audiobooks of books that are already out there as a bonus to the patrons, then I'm really not hiding anything from anyone else because you could just read these books. I recommend books all the time anyways. I do hundreds of book reviews on my personal Instagram, Ryan Alexander, and on my website, notusbooks.org. There's hundreds and hundreds of book reviews there telling you what is worth reading and what's not. But a lot of these books don't have audiobooks. And if they do, they're read by someone else. And again, I'm concerned about copyright at this point. Bit of a rant here, but I'm telling you, if you want to support, Patreon is a great way to do it because this podcast is completely demonetized. When I was with Spotify before, they paid me like $54, I think, on ad revenue, which is one penny per listen. And then they cut me off from that. And then the podcast ended up getting over 2 million listens. So that's $20,000. For that one penny per listen potentially but they cut me off of that and i kept reapplying for monetization for the ad program and it just never got approved when the podcast was very popular like when it got over a million listens i started to notice a lot of random orders on my website so i figured that these were not people that we were doing consultations with because we're almost always recommending packs of products i make up all these different packs to support people with specific health problems like this is the pack that i would use for blood sugar this is the pack that i would use for thyroid this is the pack that i would use for the gallbladder so on a normal day i see these packs being sold that's what we recommend that's what we sell but when i started to see a whole bunch of random orders from names i didn't recognize and there are products and product combinations that i wouldn't recommend myself 
I figured they were coming from the podcast, so there was a bit of a back door there into profit, but since I've got taken down and I'm having to restart here, don't have that many listens right now, not seeing any influx in sales, not getting any ad revenue, don't have any sponsors, and not planning to get sponsors, that means I'm doing the podcast for free, and just seeing some sort of front-end income from Patreon would allow me to spend more time doing it, first of all, Second of all, pay for proper editing one day. I would like to do that. Right now I have some free editing help. But all of us in this alternative health business right now are so busy. This is a very good thing. We're so busy. Not just me, not just my business and my company. Everyone I know in this realm selling supplements or doing any alternative thing. We're jam busy right now. Been that way for about a year. Don't see it slowing down anytime soon. I think one reason why the alternative health world has so many new people and brand new people, people messaging us saying, hey, look, I I took the thing a couple of years ago. I took that injectable thing. And it wasn't until like a couple months ago I started to realize it was all nonsense. I think uh, the powers that be overplayed their card, showed a lot of people their true intentions. But I also think it was a mistake for them if they wanted to protect the medical monopoly, the pharmaceutical industry. I think... They made the wrong move by making us all talk about health for two, three years straight. The average person didn't talk about health before. The news didn't talk about health before. Not that much. But they put it all into our faces. They rammed it all down our throat. All of the alternative worlds went on and on and on about it. You couldn't escape hearing about health, whether from the mainstream or the alternative side, for those few years. And so now they've created a consumer base of regular civilians who are more informed than they've ever been. Already the average consumer is more informed than they've ever been. Of course. But now you took a bunch of regular people who never thought about health before, forced them to think about and talk about health for three years straight, and now they've got more information than regular medical doctors. That's why they're coming to the alternative world, because they've become informed on what the medical establishment is and on the alternatives that are out there. So I'm just saying, I'd love to keep up with this demand, and I am doing that on the business side, but it's taking me away from content production. And if you would like to help the content production, Patreon is one of the great ways to do it. Of course, you can reach out to us for the health evaluation as well. Many people who get the evaluation will become customers of ours, and that will support this enterprise as well. Even if you buy nothing, I appreciate you anyways for being here with me and learning this information. This was a long podcast here, so congratulations for getting through it. Honestly, just from this deep dive alone, you probably know more about nutrition than your medical doctor does. Very good bet for that. If you want to know even more, of course, subscribe. Check out the other podcasts, the many videos that we've got, my books, and our Instagram, where we're constantly sharing information in this subject. And for now, that is all I've got for you. Appreciate you once again. Until next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 